0: Chloe, I'll make it up to you. I promise.
1: I can't say that makes me feel any better, given your previous track record on promises.
0: It's one story. What's the big deal?
1: That you couldn't give up one riding practice to do.
0: Don't make this about Lana.
1: I'm not. This is about you and your perennial inability to be there when I need you.
0: Whoa. Don't you think you're being a little harsh?
1: No, I don't. I'm never a priority in your life. I'm always just your backup plan, and I'm tired of it.
0: That's ridiculous. Is it? Chloe, if that's the way you feel, then maybe I should just quit. Maybe you should. Fine. I quit. Somebody save me indeed! Hello and welcome to Farm to Fable, a Smallville rewatch fancast. I am your forever host, Michael, and I'm also the host of the RPG Academy podcast, where I talk mostly about role-playing games, but all tabletop gaming in general. I also organize a three-day gaming convention held in Dayton, Ohio, each November. Before we get started, please be advised that Farm to Fable may include adult language and reference adult behavior please consider us PG-13 in regards to content acceptability for your young ones. Also, this is your spoiler warning. While we will focus on each episode week to week, our discussions may and likely will reference the entire series run and the wider Superman mythos. You can email our show at smallvillefancast at gmail.com with any comments, concerns, or questions. Please follow us on Twitter at farm2fable. And join our Facebook group page at Smallville Farm to Fable. With all of that out of the way, let's meet today's co-host.
1: Michael, happy to be returning. Uh, I am Michael Waldschlager. I am best known as Tazi on the Redemption podcast, as well as a couple of things I've done for the RPG Academy as well. Uh, and I'm happy to be back talking Smallville.
0: Well, I am very, much, very happy to have you back. And let's jump right into this week's Pass the Torch question, because it's a bit of a doozy, I think.
1: It It is a big one.
0: So this comes from Trish, who wanted to know, what is your favorite outfit slash hairstyle slash fashion moment from this episode?
1: Okay, full full disclosure, uh, Trish, uh, the previous host, is my wife. So she kind of clued me into this question that it was coming. So I watched this episode with a keen eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing I was going to be quizzed on this.
0: Now, do you see? Do you fancy yourself as someone who 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 pays that attention to that sort of thing? Like, is this something you would have done had you not known to look for it?
1: No, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what would happen, uh, and it's what happened this time. Is I knew this question was coming, but I also tend to look for or a spot like the what I consider to be like the kind of craziest or like outrageous outfit in an episode mm-hmm. or any TV show I'm watching. Like, it's just something I do. And this, in this case, uh, Chloe came through with her first appearance in this episode. Uh, she walks into the Talon just before the opening scene that we read at the beginning of the show. And the outfit she's wearing is kind of, uh, the look on her face. If I didn't know what the episode was about, I would have thought that Clark stood her up for a date mm. because what she's wearing looks like kind of date wear. Her hair is kind of looks like it's been her hair looks like it's been done. Like she spent some time on it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Her outfit is very date. Like I feel like it's, it's a little bit more revealing than typical Chloe outfits. Uh, It's a little bit tighter fitting and it looks great on her, but it also feels a little bit. And maybe it's because I haven't been watching every episode, but it feels a little bit like out there for her. Like it's a little bit too nice For just walking around and going to the torch or going to the, going to the talent.
0: So funnily enough, that's actually the same outfit I had picked out as mine because it is stark in contrast to everything else in this episode. It is actually. When she walks
1: in, when she walks in, it's like, I was like, whoa, I was like. My eye was very drawn to Chloe, and not just because she looks good, but because the outfit is just so out of place. At least it felt out of place. Yeah.
0: And again, I may be misseeing this, but it, it's it's very almost sort of sheer, and it kind of reminds me of like a kimono. It's that sort of like an Asian inspired pattern. I don't know if it's, that's true. Yeah, like, it's.
1: I feel like it's definitely an Asian inspired print, and it's it's a typical like late 90s early 2000 fashion of where it's a it's a kind of a tight fitting top it's a um, it's a little bit of a midriff and then there's like a really like Tight fitting skirt top.
0: Mm -hmm. But what what did it sold it for me? Was this like twelve foot long scarf that she wears that wraps around once? It's like green, and then like the print is sort of this pinkish red color, and it drapes. Yeah, the green that
1: green just like pops Pops. right out. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, So yeah, literally, because I knew the question obviously as well because I talked to Trish last week. So and it's it's instant. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch out for fashion. I'm gonna watch out, and then it's like, holy snap! There's like this crazy outfit right in front of you, which again, yeah. I mean, right Alison Mack is a beautiful woman. It looks great mm-hmm. on her, but mm-hmm. it, and, but from then I was like trying to go, okay, well, is there anything else? Is there anything else? And nothing ever got up to that level, save for the birthday suit moment we get of Tom Welling when he's completely butt naked. That was my runner up. You know,
1: that was, that was also my runner up. <laughs> uh, my, my, my bronze medal, my third place. Would have been the outfit that Chloe is wearing when she comes back to the torch the, the first time midway through the episode. And she and Clark have already been fighting because again, it's, it's very much, it's a similar kind of style. It's a similar type of top, similar type of, I believe, like skirt or like, or pant that she's wearing. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, again, it feels like it's too much for school. Like, like, was she just at a job interview or was <laughs> she just, was she, was she like behind the bar at a club? Like, I don't know. Like, how that outfit fits. And, again, her style in general, like, has, at least for me, looks like it's just kind of gone heavy one direction. Heavy in one, like, kind of like super trying to be chic direction, uh, which I wasn't prepared for from Chloe. I Again, I haven't been watching every episode, so I haven't seen the progression. But the last time I saw Chloe, it was a little bit more, you know like kind of like sweater, like, you know, sweaters and like her hair was like, you know, not so asymmetrical. And, you know,
0: I don't pay a super amount of attention to that. So it's possible that I've missed things, but it it feels to me like this is a part of a whole of a progression, but this is the pinnacle of what we've seen so far It is it is by far above anything else. And I also want to mention, I'll, again, I'll throw this out to the audience. Maybe there's one scene where she's wearing, it looks like a pretty like oversized necklace. It sort of looks like a rose or a flower. And then the top that she's wearing in that scene you're talking about, there's like a flower print as part of that top. And I don't know if that's supposed to mean something or if it's just coincidental, but it seemed like there was a lot of flower print within what she was wearing too. Mm -hmm, And again, mm -hmm. if there's symbolism behind that, it's it's lost to me, but I noticed that it seemed like there was a motif throughout the episode. Yeah,
1: for sure. And you know, it might come back to something that we'll end up touching on as we go into the episode. And that is, kind of the journey that Chloe's on right now. Mm. And it might tie into that too. Like as far as the overall change in look and kind of change in attitude as we go through this episode, I think it's been building to what happened, like the, the season has been building to what happens in this episode, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with Chloe and Clark, but we'll get into that.
0: Yeah, we will. Uh, so we'll jump out of the pass the torch, of course, t- pass the torch question, and we're going to open our Smallville yearbook to see who our notable guest stars are. Hey, Clark. Look who came to check up on you. Uh,
1: today's notable guest stars are Zachary Ty Bryan as Eric Marsh and Camille Mitchell as Sheriff Adams.
0: This is our second of our two Home Improvement uh, uh, child actors. Uh, Zachary Taylor, or no, the other one, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yes, uh, yes. Was on an earlier episode.
1: I uh, I have to say, I feel like in this case, we got the the lesser of the Taylors. Mm.
0: But, but he fits well for what he does. The, the, the role does not ask of him more than he can offer. I,
1: I think I think so, yeah. I think so.
0: Uh, we also have Patrick Cassidy returning as Henry Small. So now let's grab a copy of this week's Daily Planet and check the bylines to see who brought us this episode.
2: I mean, that's a story that could land you a byline on the front page of the Daily Planet.
0: Uh, so we are here today to discuss Season 2, Episode 20, Witness. The date of original airing was April ninth, 2003. The character Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, and Smallville was created by Alfred Goff and Miles Miller. The writer for this episode is Mark Verhaden. He's been a writer of multiple episodes to this point.
1: And the director for this episode was Rick Wallace. This is his return. Uh, he's directing his second of two episodes for Smallville.
0: righty, Michael, are you now ready to explore the Kowatchee Caves to get a glimpse of where we came from as well as where we may be going?
1: I brought my spelunking hat. Let's do it! Clark inadvertently witnesses the robbery of a Luther Corps truck carrying kryptonite and is stunned to realize that he can't stop the thieves. They are as strong as he is.
0: Now, that's great and all, but it doesn't tell us what we really need to know. So let's dig a little deeper into these caves and ask the important questions. Does this episode feature a vehicle crashed or otherwise destroyed?
1: Uh, Yes. Yes, it does. And I have something to say about that, but I'll get to it later. Uh,
0: Yeah. Early in the episode. Yeah. Uh, Does this episode feature someone falling unconscious for any reason? Why, yes. Does this episode feature someone in a hospital bed?
1: It wouldn't be Smallville if it didn't.
0: (laughs) Does this episode feature Clark telling or showing someone besides his forever crushed line his powers and abilities? Yes. Follow-up, does that person, or persons, die, lose their memory, or otherwise become unable to share this knowledge, or do they become a confidant of Clark?
1: I would say it's not clear.
0: Uh, Does this episode feature Clark using his powers irresponsibly? No. I would say no as well, especially coming off of last week. Does Clark casually break in or a business or residence?
1: Surprisingly, no. Not this week.
0: Well, let me ask quickly because he does snoop at the foundry. Do we want to count that? Because he does, but he
1: doesn't be an e. That's he true. He doesn't. He, o- he doesn't open any doors. He literally just slide. They have a giant garage door that's open. He just kind of walks in. All right, yeah.
0: So no b and e, just an e. Okay.
1: And he's not even really paying attention to who's <laughs> in there. Anyway, we'll get into that.
0: Yeah. Does this episode feature a moment where a character travels a seemingly long way to have a short conversation and then leave?
1: Again, Smallville. So yes.
0: Does this episode feature a conversation between two people, one person has their back to the other and is weirdly talking over their shoulder? Yes. Was the person talking weirdly over their shoulder, Lex? Uh,
1: Yes, yes, but I believe we also have some over-the-shoulder action from Clark as well.
0: Uh, Does this episode feature a particularly thirsty moment for one or more of our characters? Uh, well,
1: it you know, a thirsty moment for maybe viewers, yes, for sure.
0: Yeah, I would, I would agree. I, I may need to amend that question because often it is the camera that is thirsty, not necessarily. The, the
1: camera was very thirsty,
0: <laughs> parched, might say. Yes. Does this episode feature a cheeky bit of dialogue that hints at or directly references the wider Superman mythos? Uh, not
1: that I'm aware of. I didn't catch anything really that that seemed to do that.
0: Does this episode feature a moment with a needle drop where in a contemporary song perfectly sums up a character's thoughts and or desires?
1: No, in fact, I would go so far as to say that I did not find any of the music particularly compelling in this, in this episode.
0: All right. And finally, does this episode feature a classic Smallville Lipo logic wherein the characters jump to a correct conclusion on who or what's behind some mysterious event or otherwise solves a problem with little to no actual information to base such conclusions?
1: Uh, kind of. I mean, it seems that Clark gets to the possible pharmaceutical enhancement pretty quick. Yes, But I also kind of feel – I feel like Pete sets him up for it Mm. because Pete basically, again, does the info drop that's like, well, he used to suck at this and now he's really good at baseball. Now he can hit the ball uh, so far out of the park that it dents the ground.
0: What could have changed? That's weird. Let's find out. So, all right. Let's jump into the episode. In our cold open, Lana is prepping for an equestrian competition, all excited because she is going to invite the Smalls to come watch her. Clark's been helping her, but in doing so has neglected once again his duties at the torch and let Chloe down. They argue about it, and Clark quits the paper. On the way home, Clark drives up on some people, robbing a blue van and displaying super strength. Clark x-rays and sees one of the robbers has a metal plate in their head, but they all get away. Alrighty, so Michael, cold open here. What do you think?
1: The cold open. So... You know, again, we have the a classic little Smallville walk and talk, right? <laughs> As happens in the Talon, because it's such a large place, they clearly have a a long distance to travel to have a very small conversation, mm. even in just that building. <laughs> wow,
0: well, you're oh, so, really putting a lot of effort into this equestrian competition. It must be really important, or I didn't realize it was that important to you.
1: You know, and again, <sighs> we get the we get the Smalls who. uh uh, I my first question when I heard the last name was like the Smalls of the Smallville Smalls <laughs> like uh, that's that is, yes. I keep thinking wait is is Lana directly related to like the founders of this town?
0: I believe she is. Yes.
1: Uh um that was a uh, it's just basic exposition to set up the fact that you know again we've got Lana in a position where she's putting a lot of her her eggs in one basket which is in this case uh, Henry Her father and this relationship that she's building with him. She's inviting him to this competition and she's really excited about the fact that he's going to come, which, of course, sets up the likely fact that it won't happen. Yes. Because this is a teen television show. Mm. And uh,
0: and this is Lana. L- Lana is a black hole of emotional distress. Like yeah, you, you, you can't get into her orbit without making her life worse. And somehow,
1: in some in some form or fashion, the writers always managed to make Lana's life just overall. Depressing.
0: Depressing. And, and again, we're definitely jumping around a little bit here, cause, um, yeah. cause last week I felt like I got really negative really quickly on the episode, and I'm gonna try my best not to this week, though there were a few things I will obviously point out, but I, overall, I don't think that's
1: necessarily negative though, because again, Lana's written in a way, in right. that way, like you're, Lana's, Life in general is written to be problematic. Well,
0: yeah, That's the the teen you know, angsty drama part that's of That's the
1: teen angsty drama but, part. But like, you can't say, escape that.
0: But overall, I actually like this episode more than I re- remembered. Like going into it, it's like, oh, this is the one with Zachary in it. You know, he's just mm-hmm. sort of the steroided jock. But there's like, some really cool moments and some big moments for this episode in this season and then continue on for the series. So this actually was surprising to me rewatching it again for the show that – there's some cool stuff here and then a lot of times they try to mirror different characters to have a similar situation in their life like clark is dealing with maybe finding out who his true biological parents are getting into the ship at the same time that lana finds out that maybe her dad wasn't her dad and she has this other biological father out there in Mm -hmm. this case they have Lana reflecting on herself because she serves the same pivot point in two different other relationships. Inadvertently, Mm -hmm. she has come between Chloe and Clark as we talk on her cold open and is about to come very obvious in the show here. But we also find out that she's also become between Henry and Jennifer Small. And what surprises me is that she seems to not realize either case. And she's not at fault. But in both cases, she seems like, like, at some point, she should be like, oh, crap, I'm the one doing this to both of these pieces. But it, I never quite see that realization on her face.
1: See, I kind of read that a little bit as we get further in. There's a part where she's talking to Chloe in the car, uh, and it's just before, you know, we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, it's just before they see Mrs. Small. But at the end of the day, I was like, "It's it's a common trope in teen shows, and it happens a lot in Smallville. And, of, of course, Clark is super guilty of it in this episode, which is that, you know, characters basically are unobservant.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They don't really pay attention to the feelings and real emotions of the people around them. So they frequently, like, miscue. They frequently say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing because that's how they're supposed to be written. I mean, you know, it's supposed to reflect in some form fashion, you know, real relationships. And people do that all the time. But it's almost... So obvious in this show at times when it happens. It's like in this beginning, right? Clark doesn't appear to really understand why Chloe's upset. When it seems as though it's pretty clear. Right. It's almost crystal clear. Like she could have literally written it on a cue card and held it up in front of him. And he still kind of would have had that look on his face, like, huh?
0: Yeah. And like Chloe even sort of does a double take, right? Well, when she walks in, she's in the background. You know, and mm-hmm. Clark and Lawn in the foreground, and, and I doubt anyone missed it, but I guess it is something that would be missable because you're focused on your characters in the foreground. But Chloe literally does like a stop and is almost sort of an exasperated like, of course, this is where – I mean, she went there to find Clark, but there's also that, of course, this is where he is, and this is who he's with. Uh,
1: I would almost be willing to say that I, I'm betting that wasn't direction. I bet that was probably the actress – like reading the scene, it was like this is exactly how like Chloe came here expecting this, but then having it see, to see it, it causes her to make that double take, yeah.
0: and probably why she comes in so hot uh, mm-hmm. when she comes, which because she really does blame come in her. hot, she does. No,
1: no, you can't blame her for being upset.
0: Yeah, Clark consistently it, she's there's nothing she says that's wrong he does consistently put her on the back burner he considers her a friend though he can continues to forget that she's obviously in love with him and and only by friends because he doesn't feel the same way uh or they would be a couple and then her new live-in roommate slash sister is the woman he pines over endlessly uh, it's it, um i mean it's i wrote
1: in my notes uh i wrote in my notes that Regardless of her feelings for him, like Chloe has a right to be upset because Clark is a a bad person to rely on unless you are Lana.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it, even though it's Lana, unfortunate he's he left he's a good person
0: unless it's saving her. But like yeah, he, he breaks a, commitments he's a, all the time.
1: He is he is the absolutely the most unreliable person in Smallville. Uh, and I'm, I mean, we've got the Luthers. I mean, <laughs> you know, but you could always rely on the Luthers to but, to backstab you or yeah. try and double cross you. you. Could like that's trust reliable. A
0: Luther to be a Luther
1: exactly uh so i guess you can always trust clark to be clark in the fact that if you ask clark to be somewhere something's going to happen and he he won't be there unless your life is in horrible danger and then he'll show up in the nick of time
0: yep he will absolutely be there for that but if
1: you you know if you need him to help you move uh forget it if you need him to like help you get your car out of a ditch like or if you need him to help you deliver you know some pastries to the homeless like he'll you know he'll, he unfortunately will not make it he right. won't be there.
0: But if you've been kidnapped by a stalker who's gonna bury you alive so that he can try to find you later to become the best cop in Smallville, he'll save you.
1: Yes, yes. Uh he'll find you. Uh no doubt he'll find you.
0: Yeah. Uh so we get the scene that we Is are cold open to so right off the, the bat, Chloe and Clark basically have a fight mm-hmm. where he feels pressured and she doesn't relent. And so he's like, Well, maybe I should quit. She's like, Yeah, maybe you should and so he does. He quits the torch uh, and he walks away and then you get that moment of, of Chloe and once again again I don't I'm gonna keep saying it forever Allison Mack has done some terrible things she's facing criminal prosecution for them but but GD is she a good actress and just she, this exasperated like oh crap that was it what I wanted? You know, and it's like, yeah, I'm justifiably angry, but that's not what I wanted to happen. And now I've made things work. Like all that is perfectly clear on her face in that moment. And your heart, once again, at least mine does, breaks for her.
1: Well, and that's the, the, the part, too, about this being like a teen show is that this is literally a situation that most people have been in in some form or fashion where one friend will end up giving the other friend an ultimatum because they're upset and they can't communicate very well. Right? Yep. Well, maybe I should just quit. Well, maybe you should. Someone's inevitably going to call the bluff. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, it's a it becomes an even worse situation. Whereas, you know, uh, I can't remember the last time as an adult I ever gave anybody an ultimatum.
0: Oh, you know, yeah. I, can't,
1: I just can't remember. Like, I don't think I have. In my adult life, I don't really think I have.
0: I can't um, think of any for myself either.
1: It's a very, it's a very youthful teenage thing to do. Yeah,
0: a, a world that exists in, in a those in a friendship, stark like black this. and white. You know, yeah. Uh, if if then or not sort of situation that just doesn't yeah. really happen as you get older. So I don't know. Well, I'll ask the audience. Anybody out there want to share an ultimatum? You know, again, don't forget to like personal details. But have you had an ultimatum as an adult? Uh, that would be kind of an interesting thing to hear about. Uh, so that situation happens, and we get to see Clark driving home, uh, which again. Is he old enough to drive? Uh, I don't know.
1: I, yes, I, and then yes, we, yeah. I, yes. Apparently,
0: uh, again, we've already addressed. It. He might get have a farming license in a small town in Kansas, as possible, but but this wouldn't qualify as farm work, so he still Although should. Be I trained. will
1: say this: if he is not supposed to be driving, he seems awfully concerned with getting on the sheriff's bad side. So I don't think he'd be driving if he wasn't legally
0: able. Yeah, so he might be sixteen at this point. I mean, I think this is their sophomore year. So I would have been 15 my sophomore year in high school. But it's, I guess there is a way for, like, birthdays to fall potentially. He's maybe Clark
1: got held back.
0: Maybe. Maybe. That's true. But we see what I would call a nondescript blue van that is driving through the back roads of Smallville. And it is it's
1: a very nondescript.
0: Very nondescript. That, that's his only description is it is, in fact, nondescript. Uh But some – it appears to be male figures dressed in alien masks use crossbows – line up their Ugh. shots, Ugh. shoot these crossbow arrows into the back where they open up like grappling hooks. They then stand there, pull against it to the point that it causes this band to flip over. Now, I am no I... physicist, but I call, no, that's not how that works.
1: <laughs> no, it, it, you know, I had the same reaction. I think I paused the, I think I paused the episode and I was like, You've got to be kidding me. Uh, because the way that that van flips is absolutely not the way a vehicle that was in that situation would flip. And I'm not just nitpicking. It's ridiculous how out of place that van flip is. Mm-hmm. Like when that happens, like I think what you expect or what you see and what you expect is that they're going to pull and like the van's either just going to stop. Or it'll actually like rip the back of the van off, like the doors of the van. The, the doors will pop would have off.
0: just got ripped off. That's exactly yeah, yeah. what would have. Yeah, yeah. That's happened.
1: exactly what I would have expected. Uh, but literally, the van flips as if someone grabbed the front bumper and then threw the bumper <laughs> up into the air. The the van lands yeah. on its roof facing backwards.
0: Yeah, it it literally makes no uh, sense. It makes no sense. And I would even say it, the depictions of strength in popular media are often bad and wrong. Mm -hmm. So we have these two figures, and this is supposed to let us know that they are super strong.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they literally are just – they're are—they're not rooted. They are not braced against anything. They're just standing on either side of the road holding on to the crossbows.
0: Which is not how – I don't care how strong they are. Their shoes still are contacting wet pavement. The force of the vein is just going to cause them to slide forward. Maybe that doesn't rip their arms off. Because they're super strong, but they but this wasn't like they were braced in some way. So that scene makes absolutely no sense other than to tell the audience, oh, these people must be super strong as we're about to get even more blatant evidence when Clark can't outpower them. Because, of course, he sees this, he jumps out of the car, he runs over, uh, he gets pushed back, which is like our first indicator. Then he gets hit in the face with like a van door, which now comes off. But not before he sees a, a small little ring. So, again, I've given some advice to future criminals. Try to take off any sort of
1: identifying, I- identifying like what, you
0: know, jewelry. Like if you have a necklace that says your name on it or your mom's name, maybe take that, leave that off Or home. if, like,
1: you've got a tattoo with your girlfriend's name on it on your arm. Cover or, you know, that up. Cover it up. Yeah, yeah you, know, you know, you don't want to be easily identifiable.
0: Yes, it, especially if someone has superpowers. Uh, so Clark can't stop them, but he does use his x-ray vision, and we see that at least the, the one main figure we focus on in the scene has a metal plate in their head. But I have a question. We have already established multiple times that Clark's x-ray ability is beyond just seeing people's bone structure. He can see through objects. He's seen through a wall. He's seen through a backpack. He's seen through, I believe, a locker at one point. So why couldn't he have just looked through the mask and saw the face of this person?
1: I I feel like what they try to set up in these episodes and through the course of Smallville, I think it improves. But I feel like they're trying to set up that he can do it, but he's still not great at controlling it. Right. So I don't know that I, I don't know if that's something they're blatantly trying to do or if it's something they're doing by accident. But I feel like in this case, like he was kind of, he was in a panic and he looked through and he saw the plate, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: of course, he could have looked into the van to see what they were stealing, or there was lots of other ways that Clark could have used his multitude of powers to stop this from happening in the first place.
0: Yeah. So, so I might, we might want to, like, pull back a little bit on Clark yeah. using his powers irresponsibly because maybe here again by not using them well he has used them irresponsibly because again he has all these other abilities that he just doesn't seem to want to use like his super speed his like, I, I, heat vision
1: that's one of those questions though I I don't know like using the powers irresponsibly or not using them like that is is not using the, the powers irresponsible yeah, uh, it's hard to yeah. answer I feel like I, in this situation, I think like the setup is that Clark just assumed that he'd be able to overpower them and right. he can't. And that just kind of – I think that dumbfounded him more than anything else.
0: I, I would agree. that That's my canon excuse for why he doesn't here hear is because he's just so shocked by the fact that he saw – he met someone as strong as himself that he's flustered. Uh, and it probably – he even says later, he says it hurt. Like it hurt yeah. when this happened. So that's probably a new sensation for him.
1: Also, I will say this just in the in the get go, uh, we have at least one other opportunity for Clark to kind of like figure things out, and it also goes poorly. And um, I, it's a it's a constant issue I have with Smallville, and, and for the most part, again, I love the show, I love watching it, but the way that they frame his, the use of his abilities. I feel like is is one of the weaker points in a lot of the scripts mm-hmm. because it's clear that he's only doing these things bec- to make a story move forward to a point and not because if you had these abilities, like things would be over so much easier and so much quicker in a lot of ways. Yeah. But again, they have to tell a story. So. Right.
0: Correct. Uh, again, this is a 22. It's actually, this is a 23 season ep- or episode season. It's the yeah. longest of all of them. You got
1: a lot of, you got a lot of space to fill.
0: You got some space to fill. <laughs> All right. So, anything else in the cold open?
1: Uh, no, I think that's it. I did note that uh, the alien masks I thought were a cute touch, given the 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 way that their powers, the way that that strength is developed.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's a couple other mentions of it. I'll I'll, I'll get to later where it kind of comes back around as well. I thought it was kind of fun. All right, so we go to the first act. Clark finds out that Eric Marsh is the student who was robbing the van, and we learn that Eric is a sudden rising star on the baseball field, aided, it seems, by a crypto inhaler. That's what I'm calling the kryptonite-infused inhaler. Lionel stops by the mansion to congratulate Lex, and what's her name, on the wedding, but insinuates Lex was behind his van being hijacked. All right, so I got to, again, I apologize for the nitpicky, I love this episode quite a lot, but I gotta I, I gotta talk about this. Uh, we we start off the scene, Clark is talking to his dad about what happened. This is where we get the line. He says that it hurt, it actually hurt. And then Jonathan asks about, you know, what did he tell the, the police? And Clark's like, I didn't stick around, I got out of there. So he never says where he got away from. But I think the show insinuates to us that he left the scene of the crime. Before the sheriff arrived. Mm -hmm. And we find out later that the driver of the van is severely injured. So did Clark just leave that son of a bitch lying by the side of the road and not wait for the cops to show up? Or did he super speed the guy to the hospital and that's where he left without talking to the sheriff?
1: I think that you have to assume based on kind of how the rest of the episode plays out that Clark left. I don't like that idea, but it also seems as though, you know, the police were clearly made aware of everything. The police were, and, and Clark didn't stick around to report the crime, so he wasn't on the scene. I suppose it's possible that Clark dropped the guy at the hospital, but then, of course, there's a whole other, how did this dude get to the hospital when he was this so, so, so severely beaten? Right. You know? So I, I feel like the assumption is that the cops ended up showing up and Clark wasn't around. Which I mean, I get his, I get his reticence to be involved in yet another ep- episode with the sheriff, but this is literally the easiest one where, like, I I drove up and this scene was here.
0: Right. Yeah. I just just now got here a couple minutes before you, type of a thing. Yeah. It just, I I don't like the idea that Clark just left that guy there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And especially if Clark got beat up a little bit, he's got an even better alibi. Mm -hmm. Like I showed up, I tried to stop the three guys that busted open this van and they beat the crap out of me. Yeah. And he clearly, he got beat up. He got at least roughed up a little. So it's not like he's, you know, he's got some evidence on him that would show that he was beaten up. So I feel like out of all the situations that he (laughs) blunders into with the sheriff, this is the one that actually like makes the most sense for him to just stick around and be the Samaritan.
0: Right. I I completely agree. Uh So we cut to the school the next day and Clark is x-raying all the students looking for the one who might have a metal plate in their head, which I do kind of like. But it also seems like when we find out later who it is that Clark had no idea, like he doesn't already. I, I, I've never had someone in my high school that was in a lab explosion and went to the hospital and had to get a metal plate in their head. But if I, that happened, I think well, I would have heard about it.
1: No, no, or unless no, they here, did not I didn't. No, no, here's the other, here's the flip side of that. Not only did that person go through Lab Explosion and get a metal plate in their head at at summer camp, but then they came back from summer camp and suddenly were amazing at baseball. So much so that the baseball team is getting corporate sponsorship and like agents are coming from colleges to watch this kid play. That's a big deal. Like, I feel like it's funny because when Pete reveals who this person is and the explanation that Pete gives, it's as almost as if Clark have you do you just not go to I mean I know you show up at school but you certainly don't spend any time there.
2: Right. Like you I, don't yeah. pay
1: attention at all to what's happening at school because I mean in my high school and I'm sure this it was similar with you if there was someone who was really good at sports or really good in band or whatever people knew about it. It was a pretty common thing. It was you know unless you literally like lived in a hole like you would know about that person at school.
0: You would think you would think so. I mean as much as Lex keeps up with what's happening at Smallville right? we'll see later he he apparently gets the the torch the like, torch delivered the, the circulation the gets of the delivered. torch yeah. extends to the Luther mansion that he would have heard about he's probably the corporate sponsor
1: um the other one other thing that stood out in this particular scene where Clark is looking around and like and then Pete has to kind of explain what's happening so Pete knows about Clark Pete knows what Clark can do Pete is in on the secret right yep but at no point did Clark apparently tell Pete, yeah, I, I, these guys were, this guy's robbed a van, but they also are, were super strong and beat me up. Because I feel like that's a key piece of information that had Pete known that, Pete would have been like, you know who might have done it? This kid that can now drive baseballs into the ground. Like, out of, out of nowhere, overnight.
0: Yeah. Maybe, like, yeah, he's just not using his resources effectively.
1: I feel like that, like, if you got beat up by somebody and, like, Pete's his best friend, like, so I feel like if you'd tell anybody, you'd tell Pete. Yeah. Even if it was embarrassing because you tell your best friend things that embar- things that you do that you're embarrassed about.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, Pete is the one that should probably know that.
1: And And the other thing is, is that, you know, Clark looks at this kid and this kid looks at Clark and Clark has got to know. Even though these guys were wearing masks, he wasn't. So all three of these dudes saw Clark. Yeah. So when you start giving a guy the stink eye that you think might have busted open this van, guess what? He knows what you look like.
0: Well, and this is a question I I think I posed it later in the notes, but I'll bring it up here. Clark continually seems surprised that these people are strong as he are stronger than he is. They never seem surprised that he is as strong as Clark is. Like when they're wrestling, there's a difference between me wrestling with my nine year old and me wrestling with my like my wife if we're doing like a big wrestle party type of thing. I know that sounds dirty. I, I, I don't we don't mean.
1: need. Let's let's just avoid that topic altogether. How about <laughs> That's that? That's not
0: what I meant. We, we wrestle as a family together. Okay. Uh, okay. So. I feel like they would have realized. Holy God, this guy's super strong too. Not as strong as us, but he's close compared to all the other people that maybe they roughhouse or just what you know the things that they do. It Mm -hmm. just seems weird that they don't clock that Clark is super strong because later they realize he's invulnerable. Because they even say you may be invulnerable, but your parents aren't, uh, which classic Superman. But I just I, I would have liked some sort of recognition of that, and I don't I don't think there is any, at least not. Textual. No,
1: no, like at no point do these three boneheads ever like stop to even even have a conversation or note that wow, that guy's really strong too. Like it's just like, oh, okay, glad there's three of us.
0: Yeah, so Clark's x-ray, and everybody he finds he sees Eric Marsh, has this uh plate, and then we cut to the baseball field where Eric is currently doing batting practice, and he very blatantly Takes a huff of this green liquid neon inhaler. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean,
0: it's. How does not everyone see that this is happening? He then proceeds to start knocking balls out of the park left and right. I'm not a huge baseball fan. Uh, During the whole Sosa thing where it was him and the other guy, I can't remember his name, they were like going back and forth chasing Mm -hmm. the the batting records and like, Mm -hmm. it was like this big thing in the national spotlight. People constantly brought up, because it turned out later both of them were juicing, that (laughs) being on steroids doesn't allow you to hit home runs. It allows you to hit home runs into orbit. You still have to have natural talent to actually connect with the ball. But the juice is what allows it to go, you know, again seventy yards outside the the diamond or whatever. Or maybe maybe you get home yeah, runs it's more not, often.
1: It's not making you better at sports. It's, it's it's increasing your 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 potential for for like strength,
0: yeah, right? you, or your you endurance. Still, it, yeah, you, know, what you still have, have you. to be able to hit the ball with your other, you know. Yeah, it's hand not making up for
1: training. It's not making up for training.
0: It just again, if you connect, it goes again, like I said, into orbit. So this kid was supposedly sucks. So not only is the super strength making him super strong, it also increases his hand-eye coordination. Is, is basically what I'm getting at.
1: There's a small part of me that wonders if if Clark's you know frustration with this situation is not also based in the fact that this dude is juicing super strong and he's playing high school sports as if he doesn't care if anybody finds out.
0: Yeah, that. You know, Whereas actually, you
1: know, where Clark has to hide those has to hide his abilities, yeah. and maybe there's a little jealousy there.
0: That would have I would have liked for them to actually make that textual because that is actually a very cool element to that story is that you know this guy's stronger than i am and he's out here playing baseball and he's not hiding it because he's you know knocking every ball that he gets sent his way out of the park so yeah Uh, but i will note that there's no lyrics that really make sense but the song swing swing by all american reject starts to play softly while we're watching eric bat so i think it's just the swing swing connection to the baseball practice but there's really yeah
1: I i don't I don't think the lyrics actually are 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 poignant in, in regards to the situation. It's literally just swing swing.
0: Yeah. So can we get that moment where Eric looks at Clark, Clark looks at Eric, and to your point, Eric clearly recognizes Clark, even though he may not think that Clark can recognize him, but may, maybe he assumes that he might have figured it out because of like the class ring or whatever.
1: But I, I again I just feel like and this happens to Clark a couple of times a number of times during the show where I mean, Clark clearly saw somebody do something bad. They see him, but it never really – it's rare that it comes to Clark that, hey, they saw me. Like, Maybe they recognize I should
0: wear me. wear a mask. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go over to the mansion where Lionel has stopped by. We get a little bit of a lex over the shoulder when Lionel's up on the balcony, but it's kind of half-hearted. But I love how Lionel just keeps forgetting Helen's name clearly intentionally very
1: intentional and and here's the thing you'll sing you'll sing the graces of Allison Mack uh, as an actress you know in in Smallville i will constantly in every episode i ever do with you on this show if john glover is a part of that episode i will sing his praises mm-hmm. john glover is a national treasure uh, as Completely an actor agree. As, as a talent and his portrayal of Lionel in this show just just Sends me to the moon. I absolutely love it. It is the quintessential, like, like scenery chewing, always has a plan in the background. Like, Lionel is the quintessential Lex before Lex became Lex. Oh, yeah. And they did a very good job of of kind of mirroring that to, from father to son.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, Lionel is clearly grooming Lex, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's intentional or intentional not. Intentional or not, yeah. To, to become a worse version of himself. And he absolutely succeeds, uh, as we will see later in the series. But interestingly enough, again, this is where we see that Lex has a copy of the latest issue of the Smallville (laughs) uh, Torch, which, again, Uh. makes me so happy. But Lionel thinks that Lex hijacked his van. I'd hate to think that you'd stoop to use common thuggery to get back at me, son. Wait a minute. Are you insinuating that I had something to do with robbing your truck? <laughs> Dad. That would be illegal. Legalities are inconsequential. I would want my property returned. What did you have? You know, what are you what are you taking through the back streets of Smallville? And Lionel says, nothing out of the ordinary. And I have to giggle because he's actually being truthful. In Smallville, there is nothing unusual about kryptonite, because it's just freaking everywhere. Now maybe the refined version. Mm-hmm. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Yeah. Uh, I know you you tweeted beforehand about how you love Lex and Lionel and I, know, whether- I do
1: this like these interactions and this is a brief interaction. It's, it's it's not very long. You don't get a lot of either of them, but every time the two of them are together on screen, every time Michael Rosenbaum and john glover are together on screen like i just it's some of the best parts of smallville for me and i mean i love the clark and lex Mm storyline i i even i i don't mind the the romances i love the lois and clark storyline as that develops later in the years but like the best relationship to me the most one that's most entertaining to watch to me is always lionel and lex
0: yeah, it definitely elevates the show. And again, I think that's one of the reasons why the show is so good is All that. both of them really do. They do. They they make it better than what's on the page. And it kind of lends some gravitas to the to the whole show. And it just, you know, again, I absolutely, I think Michael Rosemont is, is my favorite Lex. I think he's yeah. the best Lex in media that I have seen.
1: I have said this before. I think on other episodes I've been on. But honestly, like to me, it literally is. It's. It's Michael Rosenbaum and Gene Hackman are basically at the same level for me. Like, I love both of them as Lex so much. Mm-hmm. Because Gene Hackman kind of captured that almost comic book Lex, like, the plans were absolutely ridiculous. But he also had, like, the gravitas and the self-confidence to just, like, pull that off. Yeah, And then, like, Michael Rosenbaum just brings a level of, like... There's so much raw emotion and raw kind of like power in his performance as Lex. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's controlled and sometimes it's uncontrolled. And and in both cases, it works just so well. So it's a lot of range there. And I really, I love seeing it in this show.
0: Hot take. Michael Rosenbaum, John Glover. Good at acting.
1: Good at acting. That is like the most lukewarm. That is the coldest take uh, I think I've ever heard in regards to Smallville. It's, it's, you know. Again, uh, both both treasures, both uh, both big talents. Glad this to have just them
0: here. in. Tom Welling, Kristen Crook, attractive.
1: we <laughs> <More> breaking news <laughs> We're breaking from news. Farm to Fable.
0: Yeah. All right, so let's jump into our second act here. Henry Small agrees to go to the competition to see Lana ride. However, he believes that Jennifer is likely going to be a no-show. Petey and Clark do some digging into Eric. Chloe and Clark argue again, and it escalates even further to them not being friends anymore. Clark snoops on Eric and his two buddies and is left for dead in a giant furnace, but Clark survives though his clothes do not. All right. So second act, this is pretty meaty. A lot of stuff happened here, but what stuck out to you?
1: I got to start with, I hadn't watched this episode in a very, very long time. And As soon as this episode – as soon as this act started with Henry and Lana, and you can see the excitement that Lana has for talking about the competition and getting – and asking Henry to go and and their beginning budding relationship, I just felt sad. Like, because I know – like, I know I just – even though I didn't remember, I also knew I was like, this is not going to pan out. Like, this just can't pan out for Lana because Lana doesn't get to have nice things because it's Smallville. Yep so like this relationship as much as as much energy and as much uh passion as she's putting into kind of building this this father daughter relationship back up it's not going to end well yeah. and it just made me made me sad i mean henry certainly seems like nice enough and he seems like he's got good intentions but at the same time i know it's just going to end in disappointment
0: it's not going to turn out well but it does a good job of setting up later when we get that turn And Kristen does, I think, some amazing acting in that, in those moments where that disappointment, because she's the one who says, don't go. And again, we're jumping ahead. Yeah, yeah. But this is clearly something she wants, but she's also the one that says, maybe you shouldn't.
1: You had mentioned that earlier where there's a couple, there's some heavy moments in this episode. And I would just say in this episode, almost all of them revolve around this relationship with Lana and Henry. Mm -hmm. Because even though Chloe and Clark have their little moments, I feel like those are more telegraphed. I feel like you know they've been building to those, whereas this the, what happens with Lana and Henry in this episode I think is less telegraphed. I think it it comes a little bit more of a as a surprise in general, and I feel like again, Kristen does a wonderful job with the the emotion of this particular this particular storyline wrapping up the way it does.
0: I would agree. Uh, so we're at the Torch office and Petey and Clark are doing the research and we've already mentioned it, but this is where we get the info that um Eric was a, a honor chemistry student. He was at chemistry camp. There was an explosion. That's where he got the metal plate in his head. It's never really explained, but, it, you know, a likely whatever he was experimenting on probably had something to do with kryptonite or the meteor rocks as they would know it. We don't quite know how he got from one to the other, but I I think they have to be connected in some way.
1: Well, I think literally that piece of exposition is just to explain the fact that Eric is smart enough to figure out how to make these kryptonite inhalers. I don't necessarily think it's tied to that necessarily that maybe he was working on these things when it blew up or anything like that. It's literally just meant to show that, not only is eric a an athlete, he's also intellectual. he's right. also smart
0: I agree. I think that's what that is is to say he's the one that's doing this chemistry to make these refined media rocks into this potent inhaler steroid time thing they're doing mm-hmm. uh Chloe comes in like uh definitely you can almost feel the cold oh, in that t- room yeah. between Clark and literally Clark. she opens the
1: door and there is a a little cold front like sweeps in like on a weather channel
0: <laughs> yes. And once again, Clark didn't tell Petey he got beat up. He also didn't tell Petey he quit the torch. So Petey's just completely out. But I do really like the line and I like the delivery. Wait a minute, you quit?
1: Apparently I can't be counted on. I didn't even know quitting was an option. Funny. Yeah, for sure.
0: Chloe didn't see the humor in it there. Hopefully she will later because it was actually a really funny line. (laughs)
1: Well, as long as we saw the humor, that's what's important, right?
0: Exactly. It's it's all for us. Uh, I, and I feel like Chloe is kind of doing like an olive branch here. Like she's sort of trying to de-escalate it. But the Lana thing, again, that's just the pivot point in these two relationships we're exploring. And it's it gets worse, not better.
1: I felt like it was the opposite. I felt like she came in, saw Clark, and immediately went on like, why are you even here? You quit. I don't feel like there's really so much of an olive, olive branch being offered as – she's like – it's it's territorial all of a sudden. Like, you're in my territory. You're in my space. Get out. Like, I'm going to make you feel unwelcome. I mm. feel like that's kind of where Chloe was ended up going with it. But then, of course, another – again, once again, another ultimatum pops up, right?
2: Yeah.
1: I will give Pete this also. Uh, Pete has the good sense to get out. <laughs> like Pete, <laughs> Pete literally stands there for a moment, but as they're starting to interact and then Pete's like, you know what? I got stuff to do.
0: I got places to be.
1: Yeah. I'm going to go and I'm gonna let you guys do this. Yeah. Uh And what struck, what struck me also is the pattern that we see here. Right. So we, in the opening, Clark and Chloe have their fight. Clark offers the ultimatum. Maybe I should just quit. Chloe calls his bluff. He quits. In this case, it's almost the opposite. Chloe offers the ultimatum. You know, maybe we should just not be friends. Maybe we're right. You know, and Clark calls the bluff. So did neither of them learned anything (sighs) from the initial bad interaction that they had. But again, this is typical teenage stuff. I mean, the writers for Smallville and for a lot of teen shows, but I'll give Smallville this up. The writers are very good at tapping into the dumb things teens say to each other when they're upset and they can't, they don't have the communication skills to talk about why they're upset. Mhm. Right? Like so like giving ultimatums to friends.
2: Yeah.
1: But and I, I, don't I also that. like I also like that in this particular case they make a point of framing it so that both Chloe and Clark are that kind of overreacting overreacting person cuz I know typically in a lot of these types of shows and a lot of situations like this writers will tend to make the female the one that's overreacting. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh, and I like the fact that you get to see both. They they make it a point of saying that both people are are overreacting. Both people are making bad choices right. in the way that they're handling this.
0: Though so I do to take a, a step back from Chloe's point of view, I can certainly understand why she is so upset because we we have seen clearly Clark prioritizes Lana over her. He over everybody over everybody. He constantly neglects other things. He clearly has, you know, he had a deadline that he missed. I don't really get why Clark also has his sackles up. I mean, no one likes to be called on their bullshit.
1: That's exactly why though. I mean, that's exactly why Clark could be, because in Clark's mind, Clark is a good friend, you know? So in, in his mind, he doesn't recognize or he doesn't realize How often he's the kind of, he's the person that says, you know what? It's okay. I'll make it up to you. Yeah. I promise next time I'll be there. Next time I'll do this. Next time we'll be different. You know, that's a constant refrain from Clark. And the fact that Chloe actually called him on it, I think it does have his hackles up. I Mm -hmm. mean, one of the people he considers a best friend just told him, you're a crappy friend. (laughs) Like you're a bad friend. And in fact, I don't know that we should even be friends anymore. So I I can see where he's defensive about it. Again, it's completely self absorbed on his part. He's being completely defensive about it and not being open to the fact that oh wow, as I look back on the last like season and a half of episodes, you're absolutely right. I'm not that great a friend. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of crappy when you when you come right onto it. Yeah, but at know. the same time, it's very clear that Lana and Clark are growing closer, and it's also very clear that they're on the budding of an actual relationship. I'm not going to say the writers are doing this or that Clark would be doing this, but there's a part of me that thinks maybe this is him pushing her away before he starts actually dating Lana, either because it will make him, it make it easier for him to deal with that or to save her the heart hurt later. I know that's a stretch, but I think there's enough there to at least consider it.
1: I would call that a stretch only because in the history of the show so far, the writers have not done a very good job of making Clark that level of self-aware as far as, you know, when his, in his relationships with people and the way he interacts with people, they, they've not made a very good point of showing that Clark is the type of person that is going to, I'm proactively doing this to save you hurt later on. Mm -hmm. Like at least he's, he's not there yet. And I don't know, I can't recall if he ever really gets to that kind of point. I know there's a few situations in the future of Smallville where, You know, he'll be like, I was looking out for your best interests. Right. But at this point, it still feels like he's really kind of like, he's like a bull in a china shop when it comes to people's feelings.
0: Mm. Totally fair.
1: I don't know that he's looking ahead, per se, or, or trying to cut off Chloe from that friendship. I think he, in his mind, he's like, I can still have both. And again, we're talking about a guy, Clark, who doesn't appear to recognize that Chloe is like, you know, desperately... Wanting him.
2: Right.
1: Regardless of how much time they spend together, how good of friends they are. Like, he just, he has his little, he has Lana's horse blinders on when it comes to he and Chloe's relationship.
0: I I totally agree with you, but I and will Lana's say. This,
1: and Lana kind of acts the same way, although we'll talk about it. Lana knows.
0: Yeah, clearly. Lana
1: clearly knows that there's, that she is the, she is the wrench in this particular set of wheels.
0: I think she should. I I she the way she acts later, I'm not sure she actually does or maybe she's also really? trying to be a, a
1: Cause I, we'll get we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to
0: that. But I will just say that it's actually a pretty common thing and something I truly experienced myself in high school. I can look back and be like, "Holy crap, she wanted to date me or she wanted to do other things with me and I completely had no idea at the time." So it's not that far of a stretch for a high school boy to be so just completely oblivious to a girl being attracted to them, you're, like Chloe's, you're right. Chloe's you're love. Right. I think Clark should know, but I, I myself have experienced looking back and going, "Oh, yes, she was hitting on me," and I completely did not understand that at the time. I
1: just, I feel like in the in the context of the show, like the writers aren't subtle about it, and yeah. in some cases in real life, it's not subtle either. Mm-hmm. But I, in this particular case, I feel like they've been friends long enough. And, like, Chloe is not shy about, like, she's not really shy about how she feels. She never comes right, she rarely comes right out and is clear about it. But she's also not hiding it
0: very well. I mean, the fact that she's still around all the time is yeah.
1: I mean,
0: obvious. Yeah. Outside looking in, I think it's obvious.
1: Well, the not only is she around all the time, she's literally roommates with the person that he's trying to date. I mean, yeah. talk about, like, the worst situation uh, you could possibly be in for someone who is the third wheel.
0: Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, from the writing standpoint, it's, it's a, it was a brilliant setup. You know, mm-hmm. the whole situation actually worked really well for the drama. But in reality, trying to think through that, oh, my gosh, it would be terrible.
1: I also – but I like – I will say I like where it – where the way that that situation, the way the writers and the way that the, the actress and the way they kind of all work together to kind of put Chloe into a position where she has to go through some growth. Mm-hmm. Because there is growth that comes from this, this and they show it clearly starting in this episode and moving forward. Like you get to see – like Colby's done being walked on, at least for the short term.
0: Clark follows Eric. Uh, he, he I, we assume super speeds. I don't know if we only actually see it oh, There might Be like an. No, audio he does.
1: Uh, you see, he super speeds off after him. Now we, I, it's it's hard. It, you can I think assume that he speeds after him the whole time mm. because I mean Eric isn't a car. So if Clark wants to keep up, he's yeah. going to have to zip around here and there.
0: So they find he follows them to a foundry. And continues to snoop and he sees the Smallville Foundry, the Smallville Foundry that uh, they are refining or they are using refined meteor kryptonite bars, just like they saw in Lionel's uh, safe in those few episodes back. And they are converting it into some sort of liquid. And that's what they're using for the inhalers. There's a line where someone says that they're going to take this drug to the streets. So not only are they using it to enhance their own strength there this is a soon to be drugs you know like whole what? drug empire thing they're building on here.
1: And it's funny too because the way that that little interaction plays out Eric's response to them is like hey as long as there's enough for me. Mm-hmm. So it's almost as if these two thugs that Eric is involved with they're like hey we're going to we're going to start selling this on the street and Eric doesn't really care about that doesn't really care about the money I just need to be able to hit the baseball really hard so just you know make sure I have my supply and do whatever you want with the rest.
0: But you have to question here if it becomes obvious that there's this new drug in Smallville that allows people to get super strong, is that not gonna raise questions about how Eric suddenly can knock him out of the park?
1: I, I don't could... feel like these guys are real like planners. they're not really thinking ahead type of guys like they are they're all about the moment. Mm-hmm. you know Eric is thinking, of course I'm gonna get a job at the majors i'm gonna i'm gonna be I'm gonna be a big baseball star, but again, you know. There's not a lot of real forethought there.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's not but, planning.
1: They're not really planners. They're
0: not really planners. Uh, Nobody's Clark got gets, a bullet journal. <laughs> Clark gets caught in his snooping, and once again, we can see clearly on his face. He is shocked to see that he is not stronger than these. And I, I think he gets knocked unconscious. It seems like he wakens very quickly as they're dragging him towards the furnace. But there's a scene or shot of him where he seems to be completely unconscious hanging between them. So I am counting him as going unconscious. I'm also counting the driver of the van, even though we don't see him, we are told later specifically that he was in and out of consciousness when he got taken to the hospital. Oh. And when we see him in the hospital, he's unconscious. So oh, those yeah, are no. actually two people so far that yeah. are unconscious.
1: When when Chloe comes in and ends up taking her like creepy secret picture of the unconscious guy. Yeah. Like, that's clearly, he's unconscious. Like, he's either in a coma or he's medically out. So.
0: Yeah, so I'm definitely counting both of them. But they end up throwing Clark into this furnace, locking the door, and then leaving. And at the same time that I thought, wow, that is awful it also reminds me of the old batman 66 death trap style where they like we're not going to stick around to make sure that this works which why, why would they not think it would work i guess but still there was a moment of if they had just stuck around with the kryptonite in their car clark would be dead but luckily they all they drove it away and took all the kryptonite away from him so he wasn't dead
1: well and uh, it's so this falls into one of those other things about smallville that's just a constant like it's nagging in the back of my mind when I watch episodes. So Clark sneaks into this place for one, he sees two guys leave. He doesn't see all three of them go. He sees two guys leave. Then he goes in. He sees them clearly working with kryptonite. He doesn't get out of there. He doesn't bolt. He doesn't like throw on the super speed and like hightail it. He then gets clobbered from behind by the two guys. He clearly wasn't paying enough attention to, to know that they were coming back. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. it's just it's like so much of the so much of clark's actions kind of hinge on the fact that he thinks he's invulnerable and he thinks he is you know hes he's going to get in trouble but he can get himself out of anything right and that constantly bites him in the ass constantly like yeah. just constantly and This situation was the same way. Like, he, he peeked around the corner, sees that Eric's over there messing with obviously what's a green glowing liquid. It's not antifreeze, Clark. It's kryptonite. (laughs) It's kryptonite. And you know that. So get out. Like, you know what is going to, you know what's going to happen. Like, you know you are going to get too close to that and that's going to be the end for you.
0: This isn't our first rodeo.
1: Also, I was caught off guard by the, by the group of thugs literally just jumping straight to furnace murder. (laughs) Like, they didn't, they didn't try to tie him up. They weren't gonna try and like, you know, they weren't gonna try and do anything else. They were literally like, there's only one way to get rid of this problem. Let's burn it alive.
0: Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. It was very straight to murder. It really seemed like a very short walk for them to be like, okay, we have to kill this person now. You know, so far we've been hijacking vans. I'm, you know, trying to try to beat the system with my drug-induced super strength baseball prowess. But murder, like, it seemed like, should be like a, Couple steps higher up on the ladder. Hey, you you
1: know, you know, sometimes if you're going to get a contract for the majors, that's more important than killing a high school teammate. Or, uh, excuse me, than killing a uh, high school schoolmate.
0: I mean, sadly, I'm sure people have been killed for less, but just in the show, it comes across as like, wow. Literally,
1: the jump to murder is so quick. Yeah.
0: But here's the here's actually the most interesting thing for me in this episode, or, or sorry, in this scene, maybe even for the episode. So they throw Clark in there, they shut the door, and they drive off. And then we get where Clark knocks the door off, which actually I thought worked really well. As yeah, far as, you know CGI. He comes stepping out like the Terminator. He's completely naked. It's very clearly a Terminator homage, I think. And and we get like the the rear shot where there's just enough fire to cover the naughty bits. But we actually see some, like, Wolverine-style regeneration on his face. He has, it's really small, but there's, like, these blisters that heal. But he doesn't seem to be affected by the fire now. So I can only assume that this is because there was a, was kryptonite, maybe some lingering kryptonite inside the furnace where they were working it, or truly it was the kryptonite in the car that they then drove off of. But for a few moments, Clark was burning to death inside the furnace before yeah. He was able to resist it because of crypto. That should be like trauma that we deal with.
1: Oh, it is definitely something they gloss over hard in this episode. And uh yeah, that was something when they showed the regeneration part, I was like, that's really cool. But then, of course, my mind went the same way you it. I was like, wait, if he's regenerating, that means he was burning.
0: Yeah. I mean, just earlier, he he mentioned about, How it hurt when he got hit with the van door. Did this not hurt when you were burning to death?
1: That's something. See, the pain threshold is something that I find fascinating over all Superman media. Over all, like, comics, movies, everything. Because they frequently show Superman taking blows that would, like, obviously be painful to any lesser person. But then you have to consider, like, so, electricity, right? If you electrocute Superman... Like, he's still got nerve endings. Does, does it hurt? Mm -hmm. Like, is it painful? Like, what's the pain, like, what's the pain threshold for Superman? Like, what actually hurts versus what doesn't a normal person? Because the, I've been watching Justice League and the cart. I've been watching the animated series and the Justice League cartoons. And frequently in that show, there, he is, they're, they're playing him down more like a weaker version of Superman, right? He's frequently getting beat up or hurt by things that you wouldn't think would hurt Superman. Right. Uh And, uh, and electricity is one of those things that he's constantly being electrocuted. And I'm like, does it, is it, does it hurt? Is it, does it tickle? Like what, right. how, how much electricity does it take to electrocute Superman? You know, and I would think, think the same thing here, like fire, like how hot would it have to be for Superman to notice that it is painful or would it even cause any pain? It's, it's, it's these types of questions that will never get answered and will constantly come up. But, yeah, uh for a moment, while the kryptonite was present or lingering, there was at least a moment where he was actually burning in there.
0: So and this is not Smallville specific, but just Superman uh in general, that I, I I've never got a satisfactory answer, and maybe there isn't one. But I don't understand why you could take Superman and it it is not a stretch of the imagination to imagine that he could like headbutt like a steel girder and break that steel girder and be totally fine. But if someone else takes that steel girder and hits him in the head with it, it hurts him. Why?
1: And again, that's kind of uh, I, I it's it's a mystery. It's it one mystery. of those. It's a physiological mystery we will never get an answer to,
0: or at least not a satisfactory one. No, not, we not a might satisfactory get an answer. One. But yeah, okay. So let's jump into our third. Act. I want to point
1: one more thing out. It was a little thing I noticed, but it it made me chuckle when they are throwing Clark into the furnace.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Eric just reaches over and grabs that handle and opens that door. Ah. And that entire furnace is basically made of iron, so that door would have,
0: you know, M- n- 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 that door would have melted. been just
1: as hot as every other part of that furnace.
0: Yeah, I I didn't even clock that, but yeah, you're actually absolutely right. Unless he had some sort of big glove.
1: When they brought they they caught Clark, they brought him over, and then Eric made a point of taking off those those gloves he ah. was putting his hands into the fire with, and then he just reaches over and grabs the handle, and I was just like. <laughs>
0: Yep. That's not how that works.
1: We talked about that shot of Clark coming out of the furnace and it's kind of Terminator inspired and he's clearly nude, but they're using the flames to kind of cover up some of that. And there's a lot of homage there. Do you think that was Tom Wiling or did you think that was a body double? Who? Because we never see his face.
0: I do believe, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I do believe that Tom Welling did have a body double in the show. So I would probably guess that it was in fact the double, but I don't know. I did look on the behind the scenes website that Jasmine sent me to a while back mm-hmm. and I didn't see anything for this episode. I th- I there was nothing like about Tom's of- booty. That there's wasn't, no, there's just a couple of like behind the scene pictures. There wasn't anything juicy like that, but uh, that would be a good <laughs> <question>. juicy. No, <laughs> you know, not, you know, all right. So we'll throw it out to the audience. If anyone else out there knows, uh, whether or not body Tom double or body Tom's
1: butt, <laughs> Maybe someday we'll be able to ask Tom ourselves.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, they do those virtual conventions where you can do private Zoom calls.
1: Somebody has to have asked him if that's his, if that was his butt. Is
0: that your butt? (laughs) Alright, so in our third act, Clark tells his parents what happened and they decide to pursue a less direct method. Eric is arrested after Clark tipped them off and planted evidence, I'd assume. Lana and Chloe chat and Lana sees Jennifer Small cozy with a man. Later, Jennifer stops by to explain, this is just an old friend who's also a divorce attorney. Chloe stops by the Smallville Medical Center to see the van dropper, but finds Lionel. Lana and Clark chat about about the small Lana triangle, which bleeds into the Clark-Chloe-Lana triangle, that Lana seems oblivious about, in my opinion. Lex visits Eric in jail. The torch gets trashed, and Clark's parents get threatened by Eric and his bros. So again, third act, a whole lot of stuff happening here. What do you want to talk about?
1: Again, that's typical Smallville. They, they typically load up heavy on the third act.
0: I would agree, but I've noticed a few odd, uh, exception that proves the rule. Mm -hmm. There's been a few where like the second act is like the heaviest, but I think the third act in general is, but yeah.
1: You're doing a lot more analysis of this than I am. So I I certainly believe you.
0: So third act here. What do you want to talk about?
1: Well, you know, I think I see here in the notes, you mentioned that Clark comes home in the workman's uniform. Yeah. I think that's a, that was a great place to start. So go ahead and dig into that. That's well, a, I, just,
0: I think it's funny, and you know, again, we don't see it. We don't have. No one has to explain it. He just he walks in wearing it, and and Martha's like, "Oh God, what happened?" So she knows something's up just based on that. I just thought it was a fun little moment.
1: You know, and it's funny to me too because I feel like the, the discussion that they have here that uh, Jonathan Clark and and Martha have is all about like what to do, right? What can we do? What do we do? And. They do, they come upon the plan that they should have done in the first place, which is that, you know, Clark should have called the police. Clark should have stayed around to report what happened and say what he saw. Right. Now, of course they, they, the plan is a little bit altered because the cops come to the school, search Eric's locker, find the alien mask. The only reason I don't think it was planted is because of the reaction that Eric has, which is, you can't search my locker. You need a warrant. So I honestly think Eric was not smart enough to hide the mask. I think Eric probably left the mask in his locker.
0: See, I'm the way I think Clark put that mask there. But either way, this is another callback where uh, the sheriff says you can use your one phone call to phone home. When she's looking at the mask uh, mm-hmm, which again, mm-hmm. is another alien, which we just had like two episodes ago, the episode where the kid thought he was an alien and was trying to phone home E.T. style. So I, I definitely think there was some cross-pollinization. There
1: I, I think you're right. I think that was definitely an intentional callback.
0: Yeah. Clark looks very self-satisfied, which Eric looks oh. at him. And, and this has to be like, holy crap, how are you not dead moment? You know,
1: in my notes, I literally wrote Clark is smug as hell. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> the look on Clark's face is one of those like, yeah, gotcha. I got you.
0: That's right. You son of a B. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also um, – there's a line of dialogue here where the sheriff says the driver came too long enough to tell us about the masks. So, again, just more proof that the, that the driver was not conscious. Yeah. So then we cut to Lana and Chloe riding in the car where the whole Chloe Clark thing comes out or starts to – But then Lana sees Jennifer Small come out of a cafe or whatever, hug someone and then give them a kiss. Uh and it's not Henry Small. And there's that very sort of awkward, oh, like Lana's trying to be really like sorry, the pun, small and not be seen. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. But
0: I actually really like that. It was a very quick scene, but it's classic drama, but I really liked it and liked how they all played that.
1: This is one of the situations and the conversations that we were talking about earlier. I think Lana, I think clearly Lana knows that her presence in the triangle is impacting Chloe and Clark. She knows, I think. And I think this is Lana trying to get Chloe to open up to her about it. I feel the impression I got is that Lana is aware of the situation or at least aware that there is a situation. Mm -hmm. And in her way was trying to poke Chloe to like, all right, let's talk about it. Like open up to me, like trying to give her an opening. And Chloe just, again, she kind of shut down. Like, she couldn't bring herself to talk about the fact that she likes Clark in that way. But Clark likes you. And I won't get in the way, but it makes me upset. Like, I, you know.
0: I, I feel like Lana's being oblivious here, but maybe that, maybe that's intentionally. Maybe she's, like, trying, like, what's going, what's wrong? Even, rather than saying, I know I'm the problem. Maybe she's saying, what's the problem to try to get Chloe to open yeah, up? Yeah, yeah.
1: She's like, it, I feel like it's, like, a leading question, right? Like, Lana, it's it's like when... As a, as a kid, your parent would ask you something they cle- you they clearly already know the answer to. Mm-hmm. Like, Lana already knows what's wrong, but she's asking Chloe in an attempt to get Chloe to open up about it.
0: That makes sense. That, that definitely tracks.
1: That's the feeling I get from it. And again, that could just be my read on it. Because I feel like that's also something that comes up later when Lana and Clark are talking. I feel like Lana is hinting to the fact that she knows what's up, but trying to make Clark realize it without blatantly telling him right and again that that speaks to Kristen's ability to act as well you know i think she i think she's putting that forward in lana where lana realizes what's going on but she's not going to be the person that comes out and says hey here's what the problem is between the two of you
0: right let's talk about it uh, so as the scene is playing we hear the song safe enough to wake up by the ben taylor band again i didn't see any lyrics that really connected to that uh what was happening i think it's just more of a like the mood or the uh, the tone that that song provides for the scene
1: and uh when when they showed uh mrs small coming out and then giving the kiss like i just had this mental in my head i just heard me and mrs mrs small mrs small (laughs) i was like uh this was unexpected let's see where this goes and then we we get very very quickly they they resolve this little piece
0: Right, and that's the thing is like kind of interesting that they didn't have that drawn out at all. It just immediately happens when she shows up at the Talon and explains that she's not having an affair, that's just a good friend. Oh, he's also a divorce divorce attorney. Maybe you lead with that, I don't know. But she says that Henry doesn't know yet, Uh, and then she just says,
2: Lana, I've learned to handle a lot in this marriage. That's because through it all, I knew I was Henry's priority. Since he met you. I
0: am not sure that's true anymore
2: I never meant to come between you
0: But you did Lana, you are all he talks about You are a window to a happier time I guess I am telling you this because
2: I'm admitting defeat You win Mrs. Small, I don't want to win
1: Goodbye, Mama. All this really proved to me was that A Mrs. Small is kind of a garbage human. <laughs> by dropping That's this a lot on a to
0: throw a 14 15 year old girl.
1: Exactly, by dropping all that drama on this poor teenage girl who's just trying to reconnect with her husband with her dad, right? Mm. With this woman's husband. But then also also the way that she explains it. The way that she is basically like I thought I was his priority, but clearly I'm not you are. And it's like oh my God, like, if this is your problem with with Henry, your marriage is way worse off than anything to do with Lana. Like,
2: yeah.
1: Lana is just a... She's a blip in what is possibly the most jacked up marriage in Smallville.
0: And it probably... Probably was already bad, and this was just like the final straw. But that scene does not play well no, to her not character. At all. It, it makes me dislike her a lot. Which maybe that's the whole point. I you think know? that's I, the point, right? But yeah, but it, I just you, you think about Lana actually being a fifteen-year-old girl who both her parents died tragically when she was a young girl. And now her aunt has somewhat abandoned her and she's living with friends. And then she finds out that this man who she doesn't know turns out to be her real father. And she slowly begins to make inroads and she's at the place now where she feels like he could be a real father. And then she gets metaphorically slapped in the face by her potential stepmom and says, you win, I'm out. Holy smokes.
1: Who The stepmother who, in earlier in the episode, Lana clearly recognizes that Mrs. Small doesn't like her. But she's trying. W- wants, yeah, wants to make that better, wants to fix that relationship. But then Mrs. Small comes in like a, like a wrecking ball, dropping divorce bombs on Lana. Yeah. <sighs> Ugh. Just, I just wanted, I was like, Mrs. Small, I was like, you can leave, just go.
0: Yeah, you, you, you can leave. Uh, don't let the door hit you with what the good lord's put you. Yeah. So then we cut over to the Smallville Medical Center where Chloe is following up on the story of the van driver. Smallville (laughs)
1: Medical!
0: And she just blatantly walks into this guy's room and she just holds out her camera in like the worst touristy, take a picture of the landmark way. Completely doesn't realize that Lionel is sitting there in the dark.
1: He's sitting there in the dark, but it's not like the room is pitch black. And where she came into the room... Lionel was facing the door.
0: Yeah, she should have seen him as soon as she walked as in. As soon but, as
1: she but, walked in, she should have been like, hey, you're Lionel Luther.
0: But it's that Chloe's nose for the story. Oh. She Her focus was on the reason she was there, not, I guess, the person in the dark. Which then you have to question, why was Lionel sitting in the dark?
1: Mm-hmm. And clearly Smallville Medical, as we've seen in the past and as we'll continue to see, is woefully understaffed.
0: <laughs> and underlit in, in yes, a lot of cases. Yes, and underlit.
1: <laughs> A little note I found out, just a funny little tidbit about Smallville Medical. Uh-huh. Smallville Medical is also the same hospital, or they filmed it in the same old hospital that they filmed parts of Scrubs in.
0: How oh, that is funny. We- there
1: are scenes in Scrubs that I was I was listening to a Scrubs podcast not long ago. And there are scenes in scrubs where you can actually, they'll walk down a hallway and then someone pulled up the same scene in Smallville where they're walking down the hallway and it's the exact same rooms. Oh. They're painted, they're obviously painted differently because Smallville medical has to have a color scheme.
2: Mm-hmm. But,
1: uh, but no, it's exactly do. the same layout, same hallway. The same light is even like kind of flickering, like a, the same lighting fixture is flickering in the hallway.
0: Oh, that—that that is funny. That
1: it's is crazy. crazy anyway so a funny little tidbit continue sorry to interrupt
0: no 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 worries of course and then so lionel puts like a card down and i I tried to freeze frame and read and i couldn't make out what the card was and i couldn't make out what he wrote on it so i just i don't know what it was if anyone else got, got a better look please let me know i missed it but then lionel says i've been following your work for a while so does lionel also get a copy of the torch like is the circulation made it to metropolis
1: uh, maybe maybe what we're seeing here is that Lionel gets it first and then it gets sent to the Luther Mansion.
0: Mm. He's got a mole inside the Luther Mansion who sends everything that makes copies of it, like, you know, working <laughs> against Lex's interest.
1: Again, the, the Smallville newspaper uh, being one of the most reputable sources of information in the Kansas area.
0: Uh, yeah, the greater... Kansas area of course greater Kansas but I really like the scene we don't get a whole lot of scenes with Lionel and Chloe you know we will get a few more but there's not like it happens a lot but it again it it has this energy to it and this sort of lingering menace where Lionel is very congenial and complimentary but I felt afraid for Chloe the entire Mm. time
1: well and yeah they definitely set that up in this scene, and that was one of in my notes, I was like, "Ooh, first meeting between Lionel and Chloe because this relationship bears some fruit in the show over time mm-hmm. and the tension they did a very good job of maintaining that tension level between the two of them in this scene, and in in a later scene we'll get we'll get to toward the end of the episode, like the two of them together, and again, John Glover being a, a wonderful, amazing actor." And Alistair Max certainly holds her own against him in this scene, and in in future scenes with him. Like they they do very well acting against each other. You do get that feeling of menace from Lionel, but it's almost like it's kind of like that the the lion circling the lamb, mm-hmm. like or at least what you think is the lamb.
0: I, I would agree with that. So Chloe asks, you know, like, what were you transporting? She's still doing the investigative thing. And, and Lionel says, you know, industrial material, but won't say anymore. But there's definitely, there's, there's some tension that lingers there that we, when we see these characters again together, I just, I, I really, really liked.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure.
0: Uh, so we cut to Clark reading about Eric breaking the batting record in the Smallville ledger. And I did freeze frame, and there's two other headlines that you can see in the paper. One of them reads, "Candidate sought for ailing team," and swimmer denies making allegations. Odd. I I don't know. There's something about the the second one, especially. So we have a swimmer who may have made allegations of what we don't know, but is now denying that they made allegations. I I want that story. That that has piqued my interest. I want to know what's going on there.
1: You know, I'm curious if it is, like, some kind of real-world reference to something that was going on at the time that this episode came out or at the time it was in production. Mm. Um, you know, some TV shows do that from time to time. They may not directly call something out, but they'll make overt references to it. Uh, I know even the animated series does that on occasion when it will show a copy of the Daily Planet. And uh, one of the episodes I recently watched, uh, it was obviously the front page was something bad that was happening. And then one of the things off the side was that – uh uh, Superman's new duds not Superman's new duds fall flat. And it was a reference to at the time the episode came out, DC had introduced a new costume for Superman that, you know, the basically it was the electro Superman, I believe, mm. but you know, it was basically frowned on by the fans. It would kind of fell flat with most people. So it was like this little inside reference to something <sighs> outside that was a real world thing, right? So I wouldn't be surprised to see that here in Smallville, too.
0: I was almost wonder if it was like a real newspaper, and they just put their story in the middle, and those were the two actual <laughs> stories somewhere else. Possibly, I don't, did I
1: don't it know. say who the bylines were?
0: I, I couldn't read them, uh, but I think it's interesting. So Lana clocks here that Clark is acting a bit odd, and he admits that he got jumped by a couple of guys. Which again is kind of funny because just last episode, or maybe the one before, he beat up three three college college-age students, you know, himself. Uh, so I kind of felt like this was Clark actually being a little bit vulnerable here, sharing with this girl who's obviously in love with, that he got beat up. Uh I just thought it was an interesting, you know, because he could have said anything, but he actually said, yeah, I got beat up. He obviously had thrown into a furnace. He left that part out. But I just thought it was interesting that he did share that with her there and that she noticed that he was acting odd because it wasn't overt. He just seemed distracted. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a good hint of how far the relationship has progressed where she's paying that close attention to him and has noticed a subtle difference and, and marks it.
1: Also an interesting note that he's able to admit it to her that mm-hmm. he got beat up when, again, we noticed earlier in the episode, like he, like his best friend, he will, he didn't appear to inform his best friend that he got beat up.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I just want to mention that we kind of end this scene on Clark's face, which we, it happens a lot in the show where the camera lingers on like Lana's face for like three seconds longer than it should. And in the first Full season and most of the season, I would say that I don't know that it always worked because I felt like Kristen was trying to like face act Mm -hmm. and it didn't always come through. I think she's gotten better at it because she's had, she's had to because they keep doing it. But this is the first time I can remember them really doing it to Clark where they, they, they settle on his face kind of too long. But I noticed that he goes with like a minimalist approach. He doesn't really do any acting. He just sort of stares dully forward, but it works because his character is supposed to be con- contemplate, contempt, contemplating there. What's the word I'm trying contemplative. to Contemplative. Yes. It, that's contemplating
1: or contemplative.
0: He's basically thinking, and I think it's all internal. So the fact that he doesn't do a lot of face acting here, I think leans into that. But I also think that was a choice of Tom Whelan being like, no, nah, I'm not doing that.
1: <laughs> I would be interested to find out like exactly because, I mean, this is something that the production team in Smallville does often, right? They, they often do a focus on someone's face. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll linger longer on someone than they maybe should. We've talked about it before. It's come up in other episodes. Like where the shot goes on maybe just like two seconds too long. Right. Um, and I feel like it's something that as we come in like mid, late second season here, it's something that the actors are getting used to. So they – like you mentioned, uh, you know, Kristen's getting better at it because she has to because she realizes this is just – this is something they're going to do mm-hmm. and I got to keep this up longer. I have to really – I have to focus on like emoting. Right. Visually. Just,
0: just with my face. Face acting. At least she's not eyebrow I think they call that
1: facting, I think.
0: Oh, facting. Oh, yeah. No,
1: no it's, it's a joke. Face acting, facting. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought yeah. that was funny. Okay.
0: So we get this cool scene where Lex goes and visits Eric Marsh in jail and offers to be a friend. And, again, this is Lex kind of making almost like a Faustian bargain. He's, you know, I'm just here to help. The easiest
1: Faustian bargain ever anybody ever makes ever.
0: Ever, 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 yes. Because uh, this but-
1: Faustian bargain takes no effort on Lex's part.
0: Uh, so Eric basically buys into it. And this is where we get a little bit of a uh, over the shoulders, more of a profile off side of the face, but not, but it's, I think it's still the same sort of setup here. Uh, he's just, he just wants to know what was taken from his father's truck. And then we find out the very next day that the torch office has been wrecked. Just It's just destroyed. And, you know, I think we're supposed to think that they did that Uh, You know, the the steroided out bros, but it's pretty clear later that it turns out it was actually Lionel that had that done.
1: So here's the thing, and this is, and I I wrote just a couple of notes about this scene, but the biggest one I wrote was that the torch got wrecked. And the torch didn't just get wrecked, like they didn't just toss the room. Like there is a load-bearing beam in the middle of the room that is literally split in half. Yes,
0: yes. So I want to ask, so does that mean that Lionel has superpowered people on the payroll right now? I
1: I don't know, but the contractor is going to have some questions.
0: <laughs> well, the that's, fact that they didn't uh, evacuate the school cuz it's structurally unsound I is, mean, like there should be something there supporting that pole.
1: No, that's that's what I mean, like that beam, like everything else that was broken was could, could have been the result of just somebody throwing it around or like even the light fixtures were like the fluorescent light fixtures were pulled down and broken in half. Okay, that's pretty extreme. But that beam, it looks like Clark got like angry and full on punched it. So if it wasn't, and they allude to earlier, they, again, they allude to later that Lionel was maybe the one behind it. Yeah. If it wasn't some super powered thug, it had to have been some super powered thug. Yeah. Nobody does that with a baseball bat.
0: Or it would have been obvious that's what they did. There, there would have been evidence of yeah. uh, like, oh, someone hit this with a beam. Someone hit this with a bat. Someone they, ran. Or this. they would.
1: Have, they had to bring in like a, a, lo- a front end loader. <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> yes,
0: Yes. Uh, so uh. it just makes me. So that means Lionel must have super powered people on his payroll and said, hey, why don't you go destroy the torch? And you know, I think it's one of those things where if you think about it for more than a couple seconds, it doesn't make any sense at yeah. all that Eric would have done that, and it makes total sense that Lionel would. But it still – it wasn't until later that I was like, oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, I see what's happening here. And, it, it, you know, again, it's classic Lionel yeah. manipulative behavior.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure. And I, I feel like this is another scene, too, where you get the Clark and Chloe relationship and it, again, kind of shows how tone-deaf Clark is in reading the room, right? Because clearly Chloe's upset, but he's assuming that the, her, her the reason for her being upset is only because the room got trashed. So his response, his he's like, oh, "Well, we'll bring the torch back. We'll fix it," and like, and then of course Chloe turns on him about, you know, it's not we, it's me, like, you know, there's no more we, like, and of course you know, Clark misread what was happening because that's what Clark does, right? Because Clark is not great at reading a room, uh. No. But you know, you get Chloe like unloading on the fact that you know this is literally my this is my salvation, this is my refuge. This is my safe place. And someone just took that away from me.
0: Yeah. And if you think about it too, the person that every other day in Smallville, she would have turned to, she can't now.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Like three days ago, if this had happened, she would have went straight to Clark and Clark would have been there for her. But because of what's happened in this episode, he he does try to offer – but it's just not the right time at this point. So the, her mm-hmm. her support, just like the beam, has been broken.
1: Oh, nice. Way to bring that uh, around.
0: I like that. Just came up with that, too. Good. But as Clark chases after Chloe to try to, you know, can patch things up, he runs directly into Eric, who's out of jail. Clearly, Lex has posted his bail. And, you know, Eric mentions... Oh, no, I'd think about that, Kent. I mean, I know you're unbreakable, but people that
2: you care about aren't sure I hate to think something happened to those wholesome
1: parents of yours.
0: And this is this is classic Superman storytelling. You can't hurt Superman. So how do you hurt Superman? You hurt the people he loves. Oh, for sure. Which justifies, again, why he doesn't tell everyone his, his powers. I keep saying, yes. you know, he should tell Chloe, he should tell Lana. But this is why you don't. Yeah. Because if anyone else finds out that you're that close to them, it, you're putting their life in danger. And he zooms home and... It's supposed to be terrifying, but I actually found it almost laugh out loud funny, the way the parents are, like, stapled to the barn with these.
1: They're, like, side crucified. It's the weirdest.
0: It's the weirdest. It's the weirdest, thing. like,
1: way to, like, pin them up on the wall. Like
0: and you got to think about how that actually happened, you know? I mean, like, the logistics of, like, did oh, one of them hold him there? I,
1: I paused it and looked at all the things that were holding them up. There is a comically large wrench wrapped around <laughs> Martha's arm. Like it's – the wrench itself would have to be this big and I'm holding my hands probably like a good meter and a half apart and it was like a crescent – or it was like a regular old like crescent wrench. Mm-hmm. So it would have had to have been an enormous wrench <laughs> that they have wrapped around yeah. her arm to like in one spot to like hold her in place. And and again, there's like some other like pieces of metal and other parts of like other tools that are holding them to this structure. But yeah. that that wrench – I don't know why that grabbed my eye, but I was they like, just, that yeah. wrench is enormous. Like, what's that even doing in the barn? What do they use that for?
0: Yeah, like, but they're off the ground, and these people can't fly. So yeah, they had no. to have gotten a ladder, climbed up the ladder. You know, like one person handed Jonathan to the other. The other one held Jonathan against the wall. Then the other guy climbed up the ladder. Oh, this is taking all day. And I just imagine, like, what's the conversation like? Like, like seriously, guys? Are you going to well, do this? You
1: can only assume that they had to have knocked them out first and then – put them on the wall because, you know, of course you can't like, you, you know, as strong as they are, they can certainly heft them about easy enough. Right. But again, if they're conscious, then you have to deal with them talking and fighting back and all those things. So yeah. we can only assume that they came into the barn, trashed the place. And again, straight up trashed it. Like they, they twisted up the family tractor into something unrecognizable.
0: Yeah. I mean, it looks a lot like the torch office, which is another yeah. reason why it tracks that you think it might be the, by the same Of course, people. of course. I am not counting Jonathan and Martha as going unconscious, even though I agree with you. It only really yeah. Makes they sense they never they show it.
1: They never show it. So they, you know. yeah. I will say this. This is another thing that struck me about the Eric and Clark conversation. Eric is kind of overtly threatening Clark. He's not being he's not being sly about it. He's overtly threatening him. Right. And Clark also again for a moment there he's still smug. Like what are you doing back out of what are you doing out of jail so soon? Yeah. And literally again, you know this guy is as strong as you are. You know you can't like take him in a straight up fist fight. Like where does that smugness come from? And then when Eric makes the threat against his family, there is a look of surprise on Clark's face like, "Oh my god, he's going to he's going to hurt my family." When when again, I I just flash back to Clark. This dude tried to burn you alive in a furnace.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like nothing is out of bounds for this guy. Like don't be surprised that he's threatening your family. Right. Because you had him thrown in jail. They, like, they
0: went straight to murder. So you know, They went straight another, to murder. <laughs> did not Pasco Did not collect $200 straight to murder. Okay. Uh, so in our fourth act, Clark gets some great advice from his dad. Clark and Lex hatch a plan to catch Eric and his friends, but Clark knocks Lex out to keep him safe and out of it. Clark springs the trap, but finds he may be the one in trouble. So this is where Jonathan gives Clark some great advice.
1: He really does. He really does. He,
0: he really does. But this is the thing that drives me, again, this is wider Superman stuff, where so many times Superman finally finds someone who's as strong as him and they get into a fight and it's like, oh, this, this person can punch me and it hurts. But you have all these other powers. That's why Superman should never lose a fight because he's also super, super fast. So it doesn't matter that this person is as strong as he is, but if he's not – he doesn't have super speed, then they should never land a single punch and it doesn't matter. So it's just – and this is great advice, but also I guarantee we're going to see in the next eight and a half seasons where Clark fails to do this um, time and time again when he yeah. faces someone. He doesn't use all his powers, which he should.
1: That's actually a note that I made as well. Uh, and I said, you know, again, thanks to Jonathan for reminding Clark that he has more than just one power. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Smallville is very good as a series. Like, they do a good job, like, portraying his powers, but I feel they fail often at showing the fact that they are not singular powers. Like, he has all these things, and he can do them all at the same time. They're, you know, he can be super strong, super fast, uses heat vision. Uh, he can use his super hearing, his x-ray vision. He can use them all concurrently, but he rarely does. He rarely uses more than one or two powers at a time. And, of course, it's a television show. That might be for budgetary reasons. Sure. Right? Or for the fact that, again, from a writing perspective, Superman can be sometimes a minefield because what do you throw at Superman? Right. And this is young Superman, so let's give him some leeway. Maybe he doesn't. he's not thinking about the fact that I have all these other abilities. So right. thank you for Jonathan reminding Clark that, yes, you have skills they don't have.
0: Right. But we also hear Jonathan talk about how he doesn't expect Clark not to fight because Jonathan's never ran from a fight.
1: Uh, that's, yeah. Again, this is a, uh, thanks for the setup. I like that. Um, <laughs> this is a situation where Jonathan is clearly like, I've never run from a fight before. I'm not going to start now. Jonathan, you were just crucified in your barn, <laughs> you and your wife, by two, by three kryptonite laced thugs. So if maybe now's a good time to run. Maybe okay. now, maybe now. And Clark this does a good a job. This is not a fight. Exactly. Clark does impress upon him that you guys need to go. And and it does seem that Jonathan comes around.
0: Yeah, he does actually. He's like, well, maybe we'll take Martha and go out of town for a few days. Yeah, I I think Martha needs a vacation after she was side crucified on the wall. Side crucified.
1: And I, well, (laughs) she's pregnant and side crucified. I mean. Yes. um, And I do like the fact, uh, you called it out, but I do like the fact that Jonathan is like, I don't expect you to not fight because you know that I would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like I would fight back. I expect you, I don't expect you to not do that. I can't ask you to not do that.
0: Again, it's not necessarily the time and place for it, but I have big issues with the Zack Snyder, man of steel, Superman movie. Yeah. The absolute worst part is they take, they take an amazing actor, Kevin Costner and make, and, and that to me is dream casting. You tell me Kevin Costner is going to be Jonathan Kitt. I am in love. And then they give us the worst possible version of Jonathan Kitt. <sighs> But so here is again, Clark becomes Superman because of his father. And not just father. Obviously Martha too. But the idea that he's not gonna let something go undone, even if it puts himself in danger because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I love seeing that. And even in this case, it's a fight, and yeah. you know, there's some negative connotations there. But I do like the idea that this is where Part of that drive to do good, even if it puts me in danger, comes from Jonathan Kent, and I love that that's here because it is sadly missing from other Superman media, in my opinion.
1: Smallville, I'll give them all credit for that. Smallville does a very good job of showing the both the difficulties and also the inspirational side of Jonathan and Clark's relationship. Mm. Um, You know, obviously Jonathan's trying to raise a son that is so so like him, but so completely different than him that you know there are certainly you know, challenges that they have to overcome, but also the fact that again, Clark is the person he is not just because of his abilities, but because of his parent, because of who raised him.
2: Right. Absolutely.
1: You know, and the Elseworlds books for DC do a great job of showing like how that's different when everything else happens. Like what happens when Clark, like when baby Clark lands in, you know, Soviet Russia versus Kansas, right. Or, you know, if he's found by other parents, um, You know, they always do a good job in those Elseworlds books of covering, like, different types of situations like that. But it always comes down to that, like, you know, nature. It's almost a nature versus nurture, I think. Right. But they're very heavy on the point of nurture. Like, Superman is, Clark is who he is because of Martha and Jonathan. Mm
0: -hmm. Without a doubt. He is Superman because of of his heritage but he is the the, the man behind that because mm-hmm. of his you know, who raised him uh clark stops by the mansion this is the first time we see lex and clark together and you know he's there to find out why he bailed out eric marsh and he's like you know they almost killed my parents though they leave out the whole side of crucifixion thing but there's this thing here where the camera spins around clark and lex like three times and it was way too much and way too fast. Like, I do like when the camera moves a little bit. I like I think it adds some uh, dynamics to the scene. But I did not like that at all. It was just way too much spinny-spinny for me.
1: I got the feeling the camera was trying to mirror how the, how the two of them were kind of going, like, they were shooting back and forth at each other about the plan, right? Like, we'll do this, and then, yeah, and then we'll do this, and yeah, we'll do this, and your guys could do that. Like, I feel like they were trying to, like, harness that energy when they were doing that rotating shot. But yeah, I felt like that was a little distracting for me as also, I, I made a note of that shot in particular.
0: Yeah. Just whoa. But their, their plan makes sense. Uh, the only way that Eric and their buddies would know which vans to, to take is that they must have someone on the inside. That's tipping them off. Lex still knows some people at the plant. So they basically set up a fake van. It's like a sting that Lex is going to have his people in. And when they stop, they're going to jump out and get them. Clark can't let that happen though, because he knows that these are superpower people. So he of course knocks Lex unconscious. Oh. Once uh, again,
1: is- Clark uh, causing long-term brain damage to people he likes.
0: Yes. So this is our third <laughs> official unconscious person here. And then the plan doesn't even quite go off as planned because they take the van before it even leaves Luther court property, which then I have to wonder how does Clark get inside the van? Because you would think that would have happened later, but I don't know. Super speed, I guess. Uh, but it all basically comes together. They steal the van. They take it to the foundry or some other location. They go to open it. Clark jumps out. But the fight doesn't start very well. We we see Clark on the ground with the three bros around him. He may have just got himself into more trouble than he can deal with. But then we need a scene before his, his the father's advice can fully uh, you know, percolate. His exactly,
1: fight. exactly. There was one thing about this that stood out. Uh, and again, it's the... We have, we certainly have Jonathan's advice about to come to a head. We hope, uh, but when Clark knocked Lex out, Lex was like mid sentence with one of his with one of his security guys.
0: You think someone so, would have checked on him?
1: Exactly. Like that's, I feel like that would have been like, uh, "Hey, Mister Luther," to copy the cartoons. Hey, Mister Luthor. Hey, <laughs> hey, Mister Luthor. Uh, you know, like you would have gotten something like that, even if we would have heard it like from the phone. Like, Mm -mm. just recognizing the fact that Lex literally got knocked out, like, two-thirds of the way through a sentence. Like, and it's not like the phone just, like, went dead. Like, literally, like, there's this, and and then we go to, like,
0: (laughs) yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, And I called this, I called this whole scene Van Heist to Electric Boogaloo.
0: (laughs) I like it. I like that a lot. Thanks. All right, so that leads us into our fifth act. Clark manages to take out the crypto steroid bros, and he and Petey bury the uh, meteor have memories meteorite out of sight. Clark and Lex chat about what happened. Lana tells Henry he needs to focus on his wife for a while. Lana and Clark grow ever closer, and Lionel sweeps in to help Chloe in what appears to be the start of a larger, ongoing relationship. Clark remembers he has other powers. And he takes the three out. So what did you think of this uh, fight? We get, a, we get a super fight. Clark against three superpower people. What would you think?
1: Uh, and again, it comes back down to analogs, right? Like Clark uses one power. Then he uses another power. Then he uses another power. He rarely, in this fight, he doesn't really use any of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. But again, using the variety of powers makes it almost trivial for him to take these three guys out. And it's unfortunate, you know, of course, for story purposes, it had to take him all episode to figure that out.
0: Right. But
1: it was good. I mean, again, we get to see Clark kind of looking around, surveying the battlefield, right, using some common sense and his abilities to take these guys out with barely breaking a sweat. Yeah.
0: What does happen here, interestingly, is he doesn't kill these people. And Not that Clark would kill them, but sometimes people die in these situations. They they usually end up killing themselves so Clark Mm -hmm. is blameless. But all we find out here is he he—he seems like he knocks all three of them out. I count them all three as going unconscious because that seems to me that's the only way the fight ends well, Look, here's if the they're thing.
1: not. Here's the thing. Um, at least one of those guys had to die. <laughs> and I'm going to say it was the guy that he dropped the bale of pipes on because those weren't supposed to be like, you know, drain pipes. They weren't supposed to be like, you know, gutter drains. Like they were straight up like pipes. Yeah. And he dropped a load of pipes on this guy's head. Uh, the guy just gets collapsed and i was like oh he did not make it i i can't imagine that that guy's like standing yeah. up after this whole thing it's like oh man my head no like and then the guy he wrapped in the pipe and threw landed on his friend underneath the pipes so again i feel oh, like that better. guy yeah. i feel like that guy maybe didn't make it and even eric like he you know again being super strong doesn't make you invulnerable you right so, like, he tosses Eric across the lot and, again, into one of these, like, racked up pipes. So mm-hmm. I can only assume that Eric is also, like, horribly jacked up. The only guy that really got out without being hurt too bad was the guy that got wrapped in the pipe.
0: Yeah. So later we hear someone say there's a line that they're not talking. Maybe it's because they're dead. Maybe they can't or maybe talk. maybe they're so injured they cannot talk. Yeah. But I'm, I'm counting these all three as going unconscious. I think that's I just, fine. I, I think that's fine. I don't fine. think the, the battle, unless they are dead, the battle's not over until they're unconscious because they have super strength. And, and we
1: know from Smallville, even, you know, unless they show you a body, no one's dead. And yep. even if they show you a body, that person might not be dead.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, and then we get a scene where, again, Petey, Petey's got some good best friend stuff this turn. He doesn't, he isn't treated by Clark as a best friend, but he's there as a best friend. Mm-hmm. So Petey's out there burying the, um, the Kryptonite Clark stands just far enough away, and I have to wonder: Do you think Clark dug the hole and then left, and then Petey just filled it in, or did you think he stood there and watched I, Petey dig that hole?
1: I hope so. The way that they framed the shot as they're leaving, it looks like there wasn't so much a hole being dug as it looked like Clark upended a tree stump. Like because the the way that it, when they walk right under, away, yeah, it's
0: right under a Big John Tree. When they job. walk
1: away, like there's a a huge like fallen tree or tree stump that's tilted over. Above where they buried the kryptonite. So part of me wonders if Clark just wandered in there and went, Rip pulled it up like a manhole and then Pete like threw the kryptonite in and then buried it there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was then also I was like, why didn't they just put the tree back? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, oh. uh,
0: but it, I just had a quick thought of that. You know, we have all these people in Smallville that are exposed to meteorites and they have powers. So we're going to have like super squirrels now. Like. I, there's just a moment of like you know as we get like earthworms that are like, like flying or telepathic. Well,
1: you know they have, and if I thought, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there's at least one or two small episodes where there's some kind of like kryptonite or, or meteor rock powered vegetation.
0: Oh, uh, well, there's like um, there's the one where the the vegetables are turned into a smoothie and it turns the that character into like a fat vampire.
1: I can only assume that burying the refined kryptonite out in the woods under a giant tree stump. Is going to cause some kind of environmental impact?
0: I you would think so. I mean, again, I guess it's everywhere, but being refined, I I don't know. I don't know how that works. But it just it was is a small thing that made me kind of laugh. Uh, it's,
1: as and as as much as that seems to be everywhere, uh, surprisingly enough, there's not very many cancer cases in Smallville.
0: You would think there'd be more. You would think they be don't more. get cancer; they get superpowers. They get
1: superpowers. True.
0: Yeah. Uh, so Clark stops by and talks to Lex and. I feel like, in a way, I almost think this is a bad scene because it is so painfully obvious that Lex knows, but he's not saying anything because it just doesn't make sense. Le- Clark tries to play it off like, hey, our plan worked. And Lex is like, well, actually, the plan oh. didn't work because I got knocked unconscious by someone and yet the three guys were still found see, and everything is fine. And Clark's like, who do you think did it? He's like, I have my suspicions.
1: See, I read, I read that scene as Clark inadvertently blaming Lionel. Because I feel like I feel like in that scene, I don't actually feel like Lex is blaming Clark or like suspecting Clark because of the earlier interactions with Lionel. I'm fairly sure that that's Lex seeing what taking what uh, Clark is saying and putting it on his dad.
2: hmm
1: My read on that scene was that you know inadvertently by no by no means he did it on purpose, but Clark kind of ended up leading Lex to thinking that Lionel did it.
0: So I did not read it that way, but actually, I think that makes a lot more sense. I, I you know, I think it could be read either way. If Lex suspects Clark, I think it because, plays best
1: into the conflict of the episode. Right. Like with that, Lionel being there and it's like a close with, it gives you, it's either a close on that conflict or it's like, it's it puts a pin in that like father son conflict where, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I want to know what it is. I'm going to actually go so far as to bail out a criminal, you know, a superpowered criminal to try and find out what you stole.
0: And uh, then Lionel comes in and takes away your new toys. And then and, Lionel,
1: Lionel comes in to get that thing back yep. and cuts you out of it, you know? That's
0: a good read. I didn't, I didn't see that at all, but now that you say that, actually, I really, I do like that a lot better then. Uh, so we get a quick moment where Clark's talking to Lana and, uh, well, first he's talking to the Jonathan. We get a, again, a little gag where Clark's carrying a hay bale, like it's a coffee mug, which I just think is always fun. And then Clark says, I guess you're here for Donatello. Now, just like two episodes ago, we established that the horse's name was Tyson. And I'm pretty sure earlier in the season we established that the horse's name was Heisman. So I'm confused if there are multiple horses or if they just keep forgetting right. the name every time they do the episode. But I also wonder, is Donatello a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reference or is it like a – Is it a classical painter reference? Classical yeah. painter
1: reference? Um, I'd like to think that being a working farm, they have more than one horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also uh, – again Well,
0: again, these are – again, you missed miss some of some, uh, the context. So – Lana is boarding her horse at the farm Because Mm -hmm. she couldn't afford
1: Oh, okay, yeah, I missed some context This
0: isn't a farm horse, this is Lana's riding horse
1: Uh, Perhaps uh, Perhaps uh, they're having bad luck with horses
0: Maybe maybe. Perhaps
1: perhaps there's a black market horse trade Happening in Smallville that we don't know about That Lana's An integral part of I know there's a lot of possible reasons for the constant Name changes of the horse
0: Yeah, I don't know uh, but we get this moment where, where Clark basically talks her into still writing, and then she says something. I can't remember the, how it's set up, but Clark says, You can count on me. And.
1: But we know that's true because Lana is the only person that can actually yeah. count on Clark.
0: But I just kind of feel like with the whole, everything else that happened in this episode, that's, it's, I mean, Chloe's not there. It's not about Chloe. But this whole fight with Chloe is about how she can't trust him. But Clark, you know, literally says, You can count on me to Lana. It feels. Intentional.
1: I want to back up for just a second too, because there's a spot. So right before this conversation with Clark and Lana, Lana has a conversation with her dad, right? Mm, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lana I'm and sorry, Henry. I missed that. Sorry, that's okay. yes, please. Lana and Henry have to have a conversation, and you know that conversation ends up, as we expected, going poorly because uh, Henry gets to find out that he's getting divorced from Lana, who should yes. not be the one that has to tell him that. Not at all. No. And then I, I, I. I like the scene from the fact that I think, again, the actors did a very good job in portraying the emotion of the scene and bringing that forward. But I also didn't like the scene because of the situation, because of how the, the, the way it was termed, the context that was used, because, uh, the writing of the scene felt off to me. Like, it's almost like Lana's breaking up with her dad. Hmm. And it felt like, it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like a, a family breakup. It felt, it was weird the way it was termed. It felt more romantic. And I don't know if it's just because of the emotion of the situation, but it just felt off to me. It felt odd. And then when, when we lead into the next scene and Lana is telling Clark about it, her words are literally that I, my dad and I had to put our relationship on hold. And I was like, that's something you say about like someone you're dating.
2: Mhm
1: like I know you know that's typically a phrase you would use to explain that well, you know we're taking a break because you know we have we need to make sure that we're good or that we have we're, we're our things on sorted ourselves out. for a little while. exactly that's it's a weird way to explain a relationship with a family member versus a relationship with with um you know uh someone that you care about someone or someone that's more like a partner or a potential partner.
0: It's interesting, and I'm glad you brought that scene back up because I did want to talk about it. And I, I just skipped over it, but uh, th- there is a moment at the end where they do linger on Kristen Crook's face a little too long. But I actually think she does a really good job here because of the emotion. Like she's just continuing on with that upset emotion, and she like has that sort of like shuddering breath, like she's about to just start just bawling, but she's trying to keep that emotion contained. I thought that was amazing. I thought it was really, really well done. But I also like the contrast where here. It's very clear that she's the pivot point between the smalls and she decides to remove herself because she doesn't want to be the reason that that relationship ends. Mm-hmm. But it's very, it's a very, adult. Po- it's a it a is very, very
1: adult decision to make for someone that's supposedly, you know, 14 or 15, 14,
0: or 15 years old. But conversely, she's the pivot point between Clark and Chloe and she doesn't take herself out of that. Now she's not put in that specific position like to do that. But she goes to see Clark. Clark says, you can count on me. And I feel like that's the show telling us that Glana knows that she's the reason here, but she's not willing to give up Clark. She was mm-hmm. willing to give up her father, you know, again, new to her life, mm-hmm. biological father, but still. But she's not willing to, to back out to make sure that Chloe and Clark say that he, she wants them to be friends, but she's not willing to remove herself to make sure that happens. Mm-hmm. And I think that's telling.
1: It is. It really is. But again, that, I think that goes back to your right. The relationship that's there, there are the, there is a long-term relationship there versus a short-term relationship, a short and intense relationship with the, the father and, and step or the father and stepmother or, you know, however you would term that. Yeah. Uh, the husband and wife, right? But, um, yeah, I think there's definitely, she's vested in what's going on with Clark and doesn't want to just write that off mm-hmm. or doesn't want to just step aside. Right, um but I think again, I think that speaks to the to that earlier point that Lana does know Lana is the only one in this little relationship that knows that she is the monkey wrench in the works. um mm-hmm. you know both Chloe and Clark, I think Clark has an idea, but is kind of a bit I, they, they kind of portray him as oblivious to it. Chloe knows that she is the third wheel between Lana and Clark but is hanging on for dear life. But Lana knows the position that she's in. The Lana right. knows that she's in the power position, right? She is the object of the affection and she is also the monkey wrench in the works.
0: Yeah. But she, she chooses to back out of one relationship, but, but not the other. Yep. Exactly. All right. So we get our final scene here and this is where Lionel comes back into the, to the torch office and has this great scene with Chloe uh, where, again, she basically, Chloe kind of says, it's kind of weird that the, you know, steroid bros didn't admit to trashing the, uh, the torch, which is telling us that it was actually Lionel. And earlier in the season, Lex kind of does the same thing where he offers to, like, give the journalism department extra computers as a way to try to ingratiate himself with, with Chloe. Where, again, this is like student master situation where, uh, Lionel just comes in and does that. Then he offers to get her a column in the Daily Planet, which is, you know, that's probably Chloe's dream. And here she is, a high school student, where she's been given this opportunity. And you can just see that spider pulling the web strings kind of happening here. And we have to worry, because this the writers have set this up really well, that she's finally exasperated with Clark. And now she's ready to turn against him, potentially, and to fall into Lionel's web. Because we also, there's there's questions about what does Lionel know? Lionel has refined Meteor Rock. He's doing stuff with refined Meteor Rock. He had a secret file on Clark, which we don't know what was in. He had the key to the spaceship in his safe. What does Lionel know right now? And it's just, its those are big questions that I don't know the show ever actually answers very well. But they're juicy questions to sort of, like, think about.
1: I, I made two notes for this particular section. One, again, I go back to Chloe and Lionel are both standing right by this destroyed, shattered beam, and neither of them seem shook whatsoever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, in fact, Lionel, Lionel almost... Lionel even,
0: like, pokes at it. There's he a does. He's he, sort of like, yeah. He
1: pokes at it. Um And that struck me again as, like, you guys are literally... shouldn't be standing near this at all. The whole ceiling could come down. But then the other part of this is that you mentioned it again. Lionel kind of gives Chloe her first taste of, like, quid pro quo. Like, mm. as a as a journalist, as someone who's into these types of things, like, I can... You know, work with me. I can give you this if, you know, if you trust me, if you work with me, if you, I can make all these, I can open all these doors for you. I can make all these things happen. And all you have to do is say yes. Right. Um, and uh, it's actually funny. Like that leads me into what my question will be for the next, for all right. the next well, we're, person. We're
0: almost there. Uh, one thing I just wanted to mention uh, is uh, Lionel has a quote here that journalists are the midwives of history which I actually thought was a great quote. So I thought, that's got to be something, right? So I Googled it, and it's actually attributed to James Plath, who is a uh, professor as well as the president of the John Updike Society. Ah. So, yeah, so the Journalist of the Midwives of History is not in a Lionel Luther original. Uh, but I do think – and that's a great line to drop on Chloe in that moment. So I, I think
1: so, me. yeah. I agree.
0: All right. So final thoughts on the episode. Anything that we didn't touch on that you want to circle back to or just – Overall, any other thoughts that you want to talk about before we move on?
1: I think you mentioned at the beginning of our, of our breakdown and that is that the only thing I remembered clearly about this episode was the, the super powered thugs, the strong thugs Mm -hmm. and the kryptonite inhaler. I didn't remember the other smaller plot pieces or the, or the B stories. And I feel like in this particular episode, the B stories were actually more the highlight than the, than the A story. I feel like the kryptonite thugs were less interesting to me overall as the B plots were as Lana with her dad and then Chloe and Clark's relationship and how that played out or how that is playing out. And then of course, Lionel and Lex and Lionel and Chloe, like all that was more interesting to me than I feel like the, the main through for of the, of the plot, which was the, the kryptonite thugs.
0: Completely agree. Absolutely. I I loved all those other elements and my, my memory going, going back to watch this episode was like, Oh, this is that episode. And then at the end I was like, Oh wow, this episode, Like, this is one of my favorites, I think, of the season so far. I really, really enjoyed so much of this. Like, by far, it's like 90, 10, 80, 20 of what I love to what I was like, oh, that's, you know, nitpicky, doesn't make sense type of stuff. All right, so now we're time for our man versus Superman thesis. So, again, I always like to look at these episodes through the lens of I believe the show is asking, is Clark going to be a man or is he going to be Superman? So, through that lens, you've done this before, I don't think I have to go through the whole rigmarole, but yeah. look at this episode through that lens of Man versus Superman. What did you think about this episode? Was there anything that stuck out to you? Where do you think it falls? Any thoughts?
1: You know, with the the Man versus Superman thesis elements, I feel like this is another episode where we get to see Clark dealing more, thinking more like a human and less like the being, the super being or the super powered being that he is. Um I think it's clear in his in his re in his interactions with the people around him, his friends, the people he loves. But it's also, I think, clear in the way that he deals with his problems. Cause even at this in this early stages for him, he's very much a one it's one thing at a time. You know, like he's focusing on like his strength, for example. Like his strength was the only way he could think to fix this problem or the only th- solution he was coming up to until like it was brought to his attention that, you know, you are multifaceted. Right. You aren't just this one thing. Um, and I think that that's something that again, focuses more on his, his human side is, is thinking of those. I am, I am that one thing. That's a very human thing to do. I am this one thing, and whether that is a hobby or a job or, you know, a talent that you that you have, you are wrapped up in that one thing. Um, and I think this episode kind of shows Clark being wrapped up, you know, whether it was on purpose or not, uh, in that one idea of himself and not thinking of himself as this larger whole.
0: Right. Yeah, it's kind of I think this is quarterback almost like a sneaky episode and uh, how that plays out, because like there's the the conflict really isn't. On Clark here, uh, you know, he doesn't need his powers to do anything he did except not die in, in the episode. But, you know, there, there were other avenues he could have taken, but, the people that have these powers only have them because of his Kryptonian nature and that he came there. So that's sort of a superman thing. Mm-hmm. But all the drama is man stuff. It's all human stuff. Yeah. He he let a friend down because he was into this other person. Uh he put his family at risk because he didn't think about the consequences of his actions. Uh so I feel like it, you know, his actions leaned very heavily into the man side, but ultimately his the biggest danger in this episode to him. Is Chloe starting to get close to Lionel? For sure. And that's only happening because he let his friend down. And I you know, I don't know that the, the writers really carry that through. Like like that that plot line kind of gets resolved pretty quickly early in season three, from what I remember. But the potential for Chloe to turn against Clark and all of her investigative prowess to be to be working against him is as a big danger. And the only reason that happened is because He just didn't treat his friend kindly, and he was more interested in the other girl. So I I thought it was was kind of an interesting, subtle look at that lens for me. Mm -hmm. All right. So now we're ready for our Pass the Torch question. You got asked about fashion. Mm -hmm. What would you like me to ask next week's co-host? I'm
1: going to go back to that last scene with Lionel and Chloe, and I'm going to ask this. What could a Luther offer you as a quid pro quo to possibly betray Clark and his secrets?
0: What would get us to betray Clark? Interesting. All right. Well, Michael, thank you so much for hanging out with me. Always a pleasure. And talk about Smallville. I do really enjoy getting to chat with you about anything, uh, in, in particular Smallville. Uh, if people want to interact with you on the internet, uh, tell you they, they loved your insights or maybe listen to some of the other stuff you do on the other podcast. where can people find you? Uh,
1: so I can be found on Twitter and most social media under the handle at LoserMLW, at L-O-S-E-R-M-L-W. Uh, again, I'm on there most of the time talking about role-playing games, uh, and also, uh, recently fitness challenges and things I'm going up against in that realm. I'm trying to become a more healthy person and that's a lot of what I post and also cat pictures and food. So, uh, you know, if you like any of those things and you like occasional voiceover work or role-playing, uh, games, that type of thing, uh, you can find it there.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you once again. Uh, as for myself, again, Michael at the RPG Academy, most things I can be, I f- do can be found there, except for this show, Farm to Fable, which has its own Facebook, its own Twitter, it also has its own email. So if you want to email the show, smallvillefancast at gmail.com, uh, please email in comments, critiques, uh anything that you want to talk about if, if I ask you a question like hey do you, does anybody know if that was a butt double if you know the answer email me in and let me know
1: I'll, I'll pop in here too I'd like to say if you like the show if you've enjoyed it so far I you know we're in are deep into season two here please go on your different podcast catchers and review the show reviews let the show get out to more people uh, talk about it on your social media feeds please spread the word uh, we'd love to get some more people listening the more people that enjoy Smallville more fans of the show and we'd love to get some more conversation going
0: yeah, th- I was Going to mention reviews but you did that for me so I'll then I will then pivot to say Reddit. So <laughs> I've started posting episodes, uh recaps on every Tuesday on this Smallville subreddit. Mm-hmm. And I don't particularly like Reddit as a whole place. It seems to be in general a cesspool of the internet, but I've actually found the Smallville subreddit to be pretty kind and you know it's pretty good discussion. But that's a great way for us to find more listeners. I've already found quite a few on there. Good but good. it helps if if other people Like if I post it and someone else jumps on there and just puts, even puts a comment or a question or something, that'll kind of keep it in the algorithm and more people will jump on and it'll get more notice. If it's just me posting my stuff and nothing ever happens, eventually it'll get downloaded into oblivion and it goes nowhere. So if you like the show, share it with someone, tell a friend. Uh, And then just a reminder to please stay after the end credits for the scoreboard. Farm to Fable is a Smallville rewatch fancast and is not officially affiliated with DC Comics, Warner Brothers Television, the CW Network, or any other owners of Smallville and or its related source materials. As such, these companies retain sole ownership of all symbols, images, names, logos, and other proprietary material related to Smallville. Our use of logos, images, names, likenesses, and sound clips are being used under the Fair Use Guidelines. Our logo was created by Michael Walschlager II. You can find Michael on Twitter at LoserMLW. Farm to Fable is written, edited, and produced by me, Michael Ross, with additional input by weekly co-hosts as credited in each episode's show notes. And now, let's check the scoreboard. Alright, scoreboard. Total number of vehicles wrecked. We're now at 39, with the unmarked Luther Corp. band being hijacked and somehow miraculously flipped upside down by Eric Marsh and his cryptosteroid infected friends. Total number of times a person has been non- <laughs> knocked unconscious. We are now at 91. With six coming in this episode, we have the van driver who goes unconscious based off of his van getting flipped. We have Clark getting knocked unconscious by the crypto-steroided Eric and his friends. We have Clark knocking out Lex to keep him out of the plan. And then we have Clark taking out one, two, three, all three of the super bros in the final showdown. So, wow. So, looking at our main cast, Lana has been knocked unconscious still ten times. Lex is now at ten times. Chloe at six. Clark now at six. Jonathan can at five, Petey at five, Martha at three, and Lionel two. Total number of times someone goes to the hospital. We're now at 38 with the driver of the Lucart van that's hijacked by Eric being taken there and found in the hospital bed by Chloe when she takes a picture, which is kind of creepy and weird. So looking at our main cast, Petey's been at the hospital four times, Chloe three, Lana three, Lionel twice, Clark just the once, and Lex just the once, and Martha just the once. And finally, the total number of times Clark tells or shows someone other than one of his abilities. We're now at 39, because technically he showed it to all three of the crypto bros, and as far as we know, they're still alive and they're just not telling anybody. And that's with an asterisk, because there's probably more than that.